Have you got the IMDb? Can you get the IMDb page open for these these films we're doing? Can you fucking get the IMDb page open for these films we're doing? Is that alright? Never mind. I'm doing it. Good. All right. Great. Do it. Fine. I I I cannot deal with this. <laughs> what is is loud? Is it? It's so loud. Okay. Sorry. I just can't hear myself. That's all. But you can hear me. Oh, I can hear you. Great. <laughs> loud I can and hear clear. You in my fucking skull <laughs> is where you are right now. <laughs> You owe me $10 if at any stage in this recording I call it Bad Times at the El Camino. (laughs) Wait, I owe you $10? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I had a bit of a... Like a... I'm your host. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of Beef Station with me, Gilbert Gottfried. This week, Feist Man and Bad Times at the El Casino. Camino, George Palandrino. Welcome back to another episode of Beef Station, hurtling through the stars at the speed of sound. With you again is Oscar and Andrew. Let's get into it. Uh, I thought this week, because <laughs> I bothered to take notes of the trailers that we're showing before the films that we hope to see, that we might nerd. do a bit of a, a little bit of a Beef Station trailers segment. Right. You know, just as like a what's hot, what's coming up, what so we're for excited for. the next twenty for. minutes, we are going to improvise verbatim <laughs> every trailer that's in cinemas at the moment. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> Strap in. <laughs> We're going to summarize the first 20 minutes of the bit. You usually sit in the foyer and skip. Um, <laughs> ads and all. Ads Fuck, we've got to do that. Foxtel, get your body into lime. Um, no, um, first one is a film called Widows. Is that to be a play on get your body into line? Like whip your body into shape? Oh, maybe. Is that... Because that's yeah. shit if it is. Oh, I was pr- I was kind of impressed. <laughs> well, yeah, but the f- as, it, as like, in like Nick Cage discovering the national treasure is impressed. Like he's yeah, yeah, but advertising is supposed to be every bloody secret, obvious. All written down. Yeah, it's is that not obvious. impressive? Oh, you're not entertained. Like wow, they figured out a fucking marketing puzzle. <laughs> okay, so the first one, first film is a film called Widows. Yep, there's your I poster. Saw this. Um, directed by a bloke named Steve McQueen. I thought, fuck, Steve McQueen. That is isn't the name of the main character old, in Cars. Yeah, isn't that some old racing driver? Yeah. Um, no, he's some 49-year-old black guy. Yeah, who uh, directed <laughs> <I> thought, <laughs> 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, right, so, exactly. So I always had associated Steve McQueen with like a um, Peter Brock or like a... I don't know, like a Clint Eastwood kind of thing. Is Lightning McQueen people. the name yeah, of the cast? Yeah, it's not Steve okay, McQueen. Right. <laughs> I was going to let that one go there. I imagine it's a tribute to Steve McQueen. Ribbing me on my cars famous, knowledge. Famous <laughs> racing driver. Yeah. Um, same director from Twelve Years a Slave, same writer as Gone Girl. Okay, all right. Well, it's got a huge cast. I didn't like Viola the story Davis. of Twelve Years a Slave, but I did right. like the directing. It was well, great. this is exactly the same story as Twelve Years a Slave, but oh, with well. <laughs> yeah, um, Robert Duvall, Jackie Weaver from um, that Australian film we liked the other week. Oh, Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. Yep. Uh, oh, Col- great. Colin Farrell, Daniel Kaluuya, who is the uh, the main character in that Jordan Peele movie, uh, Get yeah. Out. Uh, Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, a, a pretty big cast. Liam friggin' Neeson mm, is at the bottom mm, of the list. Mm. Um, this looks really cool, so I'm excited for Widows. Uh, according to Wikipedia, also a good sizzle because that has uh, Cynthia Erivo in it. Yeah, who uh, we'll be talking about a little bit later. Well, there you go. Music by Hans Zimmer, so he managed. To <laughs> <laughs> Music managed by to... Hans Solo. <laughs> um, 
that's fucking cool. Yeah, it's really big. exciting. It what looks great. It, what and was it's the budget um, on that bad boy. Uh, uh, budget is English. <laughs> budget is 130 minutes. I don't know. I don't have budget. <laughs> budget is it's 130 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> you guys have 130 minutes to make this movie. <laughs> You can do it all at the same uh, time. Action. I'm going to animate something. You're going to shoot something. You edit something. We'll find it. <laughs> um, comes out in November. <laughs> all right. What location <laughs> are we in? Uh, the writing room. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a name, a situation, and a place. Uh, um, yes, and? <laughs> so apparently the premise for that is it's uh, four armed robbers are killed in a failed heist and their widows, their widows step up to robbers. finish the job. Four armed robbers. Give me your forearms, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Sorry, one more time. <laughs> He's robbing a machoke. Um, <laughs> that's four forearms. Four forearms. <laughs> no, wait. Give me all four. Fuck. Give that's, all, that's two forearms. Give me my all 16 of them arms. My champ is four forearms. Fuck. Oh, did I fuck it? No, I fucked no, it. No, I meant the one with four arms. Well, we, but yeah, we both, we both, we both, we both let you down. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's only the OG millennial thing if you actually fuck the names of Pokemon that you purport to be big fans of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For we've lived through seven generations of those bastards. Yeah, right. Leave us alone. We've had time to forget. Okay. <laughs> That's right. We grew up with it, and our memories are old and decrepit. <laughs> Four armed robbers are killed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, one, one more time. <laughs> robbers who are armed. <laughs> Are killed in a failed heist, only they have their widows step up to finish the job. Sorry, how many of those robbers are there? Three. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <sighs> Next movie I'm excited for that I saw a trailer for is King of Thieves, which is a heist drama, two heist movies, uh, based on that... Um, Hatton Garden safe deposit burglary that happened in England in 2015. You know, the one with those, those like, four pensioners? They've bloody robbed Hatton Gardens! <laughs> All the petunias are gone. <laughs> um, no, um, Why would you even steal flowers? Did you hear about this? So it's based on a true story. There was I that news story where, like, it was like, dude, it was, like, four old dudes that drilled into, a like, an underground safe and ah. stole, I don't know, it was, like, a bank safe or, like, a, like jewels or whatever. So it's based on a true story, and they got away with it right up until they uh, made a movie about it. <laughs> no, no, I, don't know. I think they eventually got caught, but it's got yeah. a great fucking Michael cast. Caine's been indicted. It's got Michael Gambon, Mike, uh, Mike, fuck, Michael Gambon, Michael Caine, Jim Broadbent, and some other old dude who you'd know his face, but yeah. you don't, you've never heard of him. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that looks great. Uh, I thought that we could do uh, as a bit, bit of a bit of a board meeting type. Beef station affairs we could discuss mm -hmm, here. I mm -hmm. thought we could do that and the original Italian job. Oh, yeah. Because that'd be like two quirky kind of Michael Gamble, fuck, Michael Caine heist movies yeah, sure. separated by like 40 years. Um, and the last one that I'm, of course, excited for is Bohemian Rhapsody, which is the film about Freddie Mercury that's coming out really soon. Mm. I have no idea whether it's going to be good or not, but it's really exciting. Yeah, um, I'm worried it'll be Oscar Beatty, but... Yeah, that's why I'm excited for you. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, well, because the soundtrack, uh, my dad's been vlogging the soundtrack it's at home recently. Queen. He's been stealing loads and loads of copies <laughs> and selling them on the internet. Um, uh, it's the, This soundtrack is the first time that their famous live aid performance has been released in like audio form on the it's internet. It's Freddie Mercury data, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so, no, I'm excited about that, and that comes out really soon. That's the director. The director is Brian Singer, who's most famous for having done most of the X Men films. Um, okay. 
the writer is the guy who wrote The Darkest Hour, which is that uh, Winston Churchill film, and Theory of Everything, which he got nominated for Academy Awards yeah, for. Yeah, okay. So, I didn't see that, but apparently it was good. But Theory of Everything was pretty good, yeah. yeah. So that's our little trailer segment. I don't know, having sprung this on you, whether there's anything you're excited for coming up, but those are the, the next few films that I've seen in the little uh, coming soon section that I think is exciting. Yeah, man, I'm not excited for anything. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Films, especially so. No, yeah, those seem those seem cool. Um, I'm not yeah. quite as much of an '80s glam rock fan as you are, so that's not glam rock, is it? Is oh, really? glam rock? I mean, I think they're technically Kiss they're one of those bands. Rock. Yeah, Kiss is glam rock. I think Bowie is glam rock. Queen might be a bit of glam. Oh, Queen and Bowie. Are... Yeah, Queen might be a bit of a bit of glam yeah. rock, yeah. but like Bowie literally dressed up as an alien. <laughs> Freddie Mercury just looked a bit gay. He was just glamorous. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think they're a bit different. Okay. Um, I think it's one of those bands, like I think the Who and Queen are both, if you look them up, technically classified as like hard rock because yeah. it was like hard rock so in the, the 70s. Thing they had but the rock time. has gotten harder and harder since <laughs> yep. then. So you go, it's like, oh, this is hard rock. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, excited for that. Mm. Soundtrack is good. I don't know whether the singer is going to be Freddie Mercury and the actor is lip syncing. Or whether I think it's probably going to be a mix of both, right? I have no idea. I, I think I think it might. I said it'd I be know. like Jamie. I Fox think it is Ray. the lip the lip syncing thing because I was thinking about it, like uh, Jamie Foxx because Ray Charles is a good singer, but I feel like to do a good Ray Charles, you just have to have a possibly good like soul music kind of voice. Mm. Whereas like Freddie Mercury is literally one of the greatest rock singers of all time. Mm. <laughs> so you have to have the looks like Freddie yeah, Mercury. Yeah, you can't like karaoke of yeah. Queen is, is, is yeah, shit. no, exactly. Have you ever <laughs> yeah. seen those like uh, graphs of? Famous pop music vocal ranges, and it's like this: uh, Bowie's here, a uh, guy from Queen, a guy from Kiss is here, guy from uh, you know what? Some third band is here, yeah. and then Freddie Mercury just spans all of them. Yeah, it's like on a scale from uh, like fucking Bob Dylan to Matthew Bellamy. Where do you sit? <laughs> yeah, exactly, all of it. Yeah. Um, Actually, Muse is one of the few bands that I've seen like professionally cover Queen songs for exactly that fucking reason. Yeah, geez. Matt Bellamy is just able to do the Freddie Mercury thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, Well so That's the end of our uh, Beef Session Trailers mm. Segment Welcome to all the people Who have just walked in now <laughs> Coming in late Are ya <laughs> We see ya yeah. We sees ya Just remember It's allocated seating Alright <laughs> <laughs> Fucking And we will not move We got here 20 minutes yeah, ago right. We've been here since the start If you wanted to get your seat You should have been here on time <laughs> Welcome Welcome to a window Into our lives last week um, Oh god The first Film that we're going to do, man, is First Man. <laughs> Twenty eighteen. We didn't watch a film called First oh, Man. Fuck. <laughs> I watched Finding Nemo. What did you watch? <laughs> uh, First Man, of course, came out this year in 2018. Mm-hmm. It's the story of Neil Armstrong's kind of training through the Moon Pro, the Moon yeah. Program, the yeah. Apollo, the Gemini kind of programs, and the pre, Apolo pre programs. Apollo. Because mm. it's kind of like it's not really about the moon landing, but it's not really his life story. It sort of starts in 1961 mm. and finishes right after he gets back from the moon. I would say allegedly. it's about the process of getting people onto the moon. Yeah, but it uses Neil Armstrong as an anchor. Yeah, but it's a lot more, within that, it's a lot more kind of about his family life and his personal experiences rather than it is a story about the moon landing and sort of the technical aspect of it, I think. Mm. Because, I mean, Mm. speaking sort of from the start, so it it starts in sort of 1961 with one of his, like, sort of mid-mission. So he's test driving some fancy fighter. It's like a, yeah, um, high altitude, low orbit 
like, yeah. fighter plane thing. And so it launches you straight into the action. We probably should have mentioned before we got into the house our patented scene synopsis who the director of this is. This is Damien Chazelle, mm. who has previously done Whiplash and La La Land. Yeah, and, and also... Now gone into this. So he's done three, like, completely different movies, yeah, yeah. which I think is really cool. I didn't see La La Land. La La Land was good. Yeah, I heard mixed reviews, but um, I don't think you could really fault the directing. I think people had an issue with the storyline. I think it was. Damien Chazelle's just a fucking excellent director. Yeah, and Whiplash was almost a famously one of your least favorite movie. movies. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> just I don't know what happened that year, but it was what's just such like a, what's so good about drumming? Whiplash, Birdman, and fucking Boyhood. Were Why couldn't all it have been called like, Guitar Lash? <laughs> Jazz Lash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but the, the directed by Damien Chazelle. I don't know yeah. who it's written by, uh, but I think if I talk well, slowly, we actually. might be able to find out who it's written by. No, well, let's just assume. He wrote and directed Fuck Whiplash, it. wrote and directed La La Land, and wrote and directed uh, Cloverfield. So, uh, 10 Cloverfield. Why don't we just ten have a few more clicks there, champ, and just yeah, work out whether he wrote let's the... Just, uh, let's just have a little look. <laughs> uh, fuck, he didn't. He didn't. No, this was based on a book, wasn't it? Oh, it's based on Neil fucking Stand, Armstrong. Stand by, audience. Stand by. So it's based on a book by James R. Hansen, who is uh, some old white dude, mm-hmm. and <laughs> uh, Josh Singer. Oh, that's right. He was the dude who wrote uh, Spotlight, and he's also worked oh, on the a post of The West Wing and oh, The Post. Shit. Yeah. So this guy's the screenwriter. Well, this is nothing this like is, The Post or The West Wing or Spotlight, shit. but very good. Oh, it feels a bit. I mean, like I can see parallels between Spotlight, like. Spotlight yeah. was a very kind of quiet, pensive, intense film, and I think that that is mirrored fairly, fairly well in this yeah. script. Obviously, a vastly different subject matter, but yeah, yeah, um, great, great writer. Really shows what happens when you're, um, you, you, you have your hands on a good script. Yeah, absolutely. So if we talk, um, I think we sort of <laughs> identified early on, sort of a few different characteristics of films that we would want to discuss every time. I think the first one might have sort of been cinematography, and I think that's Mm. a really interesting one to start with for this film. Um, Obviously, a lot of the shots in most of the the camera work throughout the the whole film, you can really kind of tell it's been shot on film. It's got this really identifiably grainy, warm look to Mm. it that I (laughs) I think was one of the first first films where I thought like, fuck, like this probably was shot on film and you can kind of tell. Um, Yeah, I think so. Um, no surprise to uh, Josh out there, but I watched a little video essay about that this week about um, <laughs> one of our one of our most famed <laughs> iTunes reviewers. <laughs> yeah, uh, about how um, a lot of sort of indie films uh, at the moment it's kind of cool to shoot on film yeah. and then really sort of emphasize Get all the, the old grain when apparently garage. <laughs> yeah, when apparently like back in the day, like in the 60s, 70s, 80s, when all film was the only choice they had, filmmakers worked tirelessly to really kind of eliminate grain film completely. Grain, yeah. It's a fucking now record th- revolution. Yeah, again, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so now, like, they're, they're all leaving it in. Um, mm. As this hip, like, look, we shot on film. I was like, you know, you could very easily get rid of all that grain. <laughs> or film digitally and then artificially replicate the experience of shooting on 35 mil. Yeah. Um, it's not quite the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so that was that was one of the first things I noticed. Um, one of the first things I noticed was Ryan Gosling. Was that who it was? Mm. I thought it was Ryan Reynolds. Mm. Oh shit! Uh, is the other um, hot Canadian? Another Ryan. another Gosling's interesting American, thing is he? so we so, yeah, so we mentioned it starts with the um, it starts sort of mid flight with him doing some like 
test flight of some fucking space mm. <laughs> space plane or whatever. Um, yeah, and he almost crashes into yeah, it. he almost crashes into a mountain and has to eject and all this stuff. Um, I think that's that one. Um, very little exterior shots yep. of all the spaceships in the whole film. Yeah, it's mostly through his through the interior of the cockpit. Yeah, and so this this, this happens because I think there's about sort of three or four flights that you see throughout mm. the film. Um, one of which is the the moon landing for Apollo Eleven. Um, most of the shots during the flights are interiors of the cockpit. A lot of point of view shots, and a lot of like like there's a scene, for example, halfway through the film where they're practicing docking. Because um, <laughs> they're practicing docking. Because of course, one of the one of the key elements of the moon landing is that after the lander has landed, <laughs> um, it launches back up again. Oh, that's in, a euphemism where two guys all- touch dicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after the lander has landed, it has to launch back up again. It it goes into orbit with the moon, and then the sort of other half of this sort of return vehicle has already been orbiting the moon while they were doing their shit on the yeah. on the lunar surface and these two ships sort of have to dock together and so a lot of this film is showing us the different stages of the Gemini missions and all the different stages of the Apollo missions showing so you the Gemini missions different practice bit yeah yeah so yeah the, so the Gemini kind of missions the point ones. of the Gemini missions was that they were all individually trying to achieve one stage yeah. of what the Apollo mission would require so this one for example the one we sort of see halfway through that I'm mentioning was like right at some point this ship is going to have to be orbiting the moon with this ship that's also orbiting and they're going to have to join up together yeah. so we have to possible, have an entire mission is to it practice to that. join two ships in space that's yeah. what that Gemini mission was for because it would need to happen and once they'd proved that all of the Gemini missions could succeed yeah. they were like Right, we know we can do the Apollo mission. Join them all together. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So without which was getting... cool because I didn't actually. That's a, that was a really effective bit of storytelling because I didn't know that was what the Apollo mission worked I, out. I'd never really me. known, that, and so I suppose that yeah, was why was the really moon landing cool. was like Apollo eleven because there yeah. were ten more fucking practice ones. Like I think there were literally, I think Apollo nine or ten. I might be making this up. Was like literally, let's get to the moon, orbit it, and come back without even landing, <laughs> which would have been the most annoying. Mission yeah, that would have sucked. <laughs> oh, yeah, first man um, to orbit the moon. Wait. <laughs> so there were so many space missions because um, they were just meticulously planning and practicing everything just to see if it was possible. And so, without wanting to get into spoilery shit too soon, mm. um, there's a stressful bit that happens with one of these missions halfway through the film, um, where the whole time you don't get to see outside the ship and see what's actually going on. Like, I think there's like multiple stressful missions. There's kind of, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, there's, there's some bits where, like, for example, the ship might be out of control. They might not know where they are. It's, there's one where the ship is spinning. Yeah, fuck. And they, it's almost he's like sort of frantically trying to get control of, of ship or scene. very calmly trying to regain control yeah, of the yeah, ship. Yeah. And you can't see what's going on either. The only shots it gives you in that scene the whole time are right inside the cockpit. And, and you so can see, lots so of they like had these like tiny little windows that were maybe like 30 centimeters by 15 centimeters yeah. or whatever. And so, and so you can see through that and he, that's all he has to go off yeah. to. And so like when he has to go and look outside and try, or when he has to like be docking with this other ship that's also in orbit, mm. um, he's literally just like craning his neck out the fucking porthole and trying to see this other spaceship and be yeah. like is it over there can we back up a bit and they're more? Tra- yeah they're traveling kind at like 300,000 kilometers an hour yeah. and like <laughs> he has like 0. 0.4 seconds of fuel left yeah so yeah. <laughs> again without wanting to launch into it too deeply 
a lot of the stuff in this film really sort of seems like it was specifically done to emphasize how amazing it was that we ever landed on the moon and like and how incredibly difficult what it was like in that scene where they're rolling and out of control and all you can see is just the camera trying to peer out the window like he would lots of point of view shots lots of like close-up macro shots of screws that would have been like right next to his head or like yeah, a dial like or dials, something there's just millions um, of switches in and that shit. like the way they have to resolve the situation is Ryan Gosling gets out a notepad and a pen and does hand calculations on like graph paper on, like, of, <laughs> of the Earth's orbit <laughs> yeah basically. like circular graph paper looking yeah. shit Cal I was talking to my buddy Cal on the other day friend of the show um, and he was talking about how he was like it look, yeah exactly he was on our Jurassic Park episode shout out to Callum um, <laughs> talking about how it looks like the sort of cal- the sort of paper you'd never want to have to use yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, last resort yeah, yeah. exactly um, and so like, they're like radioing down to NASA who is also in this big bank of computers also just fucking doing hand calculations yeah, yeah. trying like, to work out where they are vector NASA yeah, yeah. exactly because they um, have to like work out and, and this takes place over like a few minutes so it's yeah. just like you're waiting there's like six or seven seconds each way lost on radio transmissions and so they're like this is happening we need this we need this and then we're gonna do this and they were like alright we'll get that calculation yeah. to you and he's like waited like 20 seconds he's like doing fucking insane <laughs> shit on the paper in front of him yeah doing all this physics and they're shit. like alright it's 26.2 degrees or whatever and he's like great factoring that in and then yeah he just goes for it oh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. real but real cool so the whole there's all sorts of scenes like that where you're just like fuck that's amazing that they could ever do that it's and amazing like, that anyone ever survived it literally made me realize why people doubt the moon landing yeah oh like, like it a, made a me also, a bit of a skeptic fucking here we go <laughs> like to be honest like like i realized we landed on the moon and often you have this conversation yeah. with people where, like here we go finally we i realized <laughs> got it got into the mid-20s we of these episodes the before uh <laughs> no but like I realize we land on the moon. But often a lot of people say, like, of course I believe that. But after coming out of this room, I'm like, I don't think that's a given. I don't think you get to say, of course I believe we land on the moon. Because this movie really makes it feel like they sort of blasted off with a tin can and a water pistol sort of firing in the opposite direction. Mm. And they finally made of this rock in the middle of nowhere. I think that's what this film maybe did best, was that it, it gave you, like... <laughs> honestly, maybe coming out being like, fuck... Maybe we didn't land on the moon. Uh, no, I, That's I, so amazing. It didn't make me doubt it, but what it did was was make me realize like just what a fit. Because everyone's aware, yeah. like, oh yeah, they did it in 1969 or whatever. I think it was 69. Yeah, yeah. Nice. They did it in 1969 or whatever. And that is yeah. like so many years ago. Um, and you're like, Almost oh 50 yeah, years ago they now. didn't have they didn't have the technology that we had now. And it's yeah, yeah. but and you're like, you, no, no, dude was doing. Calculations on graph paper while crashing in space. They had because that's the best he had. They had like less power than probably like a fucking. Not that people say less power. Your smartphone is like a supercomputer. People say less power than like oh as much power as like a scientific calculator. calculator. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like literally than a graphics. It was like they had scientific calculator levels of shit. They were just basically doing like. High school ability, like yeah, well, not high school ability, but yeah, high school technology maths. And German they were high school ability. These, they just had so much funding that they were throwing tons and tons and tons of metal into the sky. Yeah, with people in it. Yeah, that there wasn't like no computer was orchestrating this process. It was just people figuring out. Oh yeah, if we do this. And then we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this, and Ugh. 15 million things go how we think they will. Yeah. Then this might happen. Like, it literally makes made me sort of gain an appreciation for how impressive it really was. That's like, they, literally, they would have had to, like, calculate where the moon would be, I mean, like, line up the rocket, and be like, eh, or, and 
fire and a and rocket. Neil Armstrong basically just like going <laughs> and like yeah. win- winching <laughs> like the thruster the into fucking- the right place. <laughs> yeah. And <going> yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Insane. Incredible. And like, what if? I kept thinking, like, right, so you guys are launching up in a, like, I don't know how far the atmosphere is up, but, like, 10 kilometers up or whatever, however the fuck. <laughs> it's a bit more than 10. Well, I don't know. I think they said there's some imaginary line at 100 or 200 kilometers. Right, okay, so let's say 100 kilometers. Or miles or some shit. Neither of us know. It's more than 10, <laughs> but I don't know how many more than 10. Uh, you've got to get through the atmosphere, and that requires a fair bit of travel time for a yeah. rocket. Like you must a go fair through few kilometers. You must well. go through a fair few differently paced winds and stuff on the way, <laughs> and they don't know where that wind no. is going to happen. So that's going to knock no. you like hundreds of meters off course, which yeah. over the course of that many kilometers is going to put you in a different position. Well, in orbit. I mean, I don't and then think that the like, wind oh, is yeah, going to we'll carry you that much when it's the fucking satin. You don't. Rocket. You do not know that, and this, that's what was so impressive about this. Yeah. Is it's like how are they? controlling for that much shit how are they still regardless just like i could see what it made me what it made me have an appreciation for that i don't think i had an appreciation for going into this movie was why people did it yeah and it was because it was so fucking hard and there's this whole monologue impressive yeah it's a presidential speech there's the ryan gosling one as well where like he's in some job interview to get the apollo program job and they're like why would we go why should we why do we go to the moon and he gives this whole thing about like um, about like how all sorts of scientific achievements and research that we do, we don't know why we do it until we do it, and then it pays off in other weird ways. Mm. Like, I actually thought that was a pretty weak ass answer. Really, well, I think it's an interesting answer because people talk, for example, about like why we are still trying to like why is space exploration useful, mm. and you talk about shit like right. Well, people didn't know why lasers were useful when they were researching those. People were like, no, it was just some fucking weird thing where they were like. Hey, look at this laser thing. But a and lot it was of like light in one place. The same kind of weird scientific yeah, shit okay. where like the first dude researching a laser, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And now there are lasers in it, all CD players, all DVD players, yeah. all Blu-ray display. Keep, keep <laughs> uh, the point is, similarly- All computers like, with know, CD drives. Military- all computers with DVD drives. <laughs> all computers with Blu-ray disc drives. PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2. <laughs> Xbox One, PlayStation S. Four and Three, yeah. Xbox One, <laughs> PlayStation Four Pro that uses a laser. Um, but the, like you know, military research for wars that comes up with different technology. And similarly, I think his argument in the film was like, um, well, because the sorts of scientific discoveries and scientific achievements we don't know what we're going to get yet. We don't know how it'll be useful later. Yeah. And there's that whole thing about like inspiring a generation, and that's really what this film shows you is like you totally get like, oh man, I, I. I one hundred percent and behind why people gave a shit about this and why yeah. they thought it was cool. Yeah. Um Yeah. It Amazing. did a really good job of giving you that sense. Absolutely. To speak so this film focuses pretty heavily it's it's got a, a, a pretty decent cast. Yeah. Um of note would be so, uh, as we mentioned, Grind Gosling plays Neil Armstrong. Claire yep. Foy from Netflix's The Queen oh, plays yeah. his wife. Yep. Um British Jason actress. Clark. She's great who you may recognize if you've watched either Sicario He's film. from Zero Dark Thirty as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Australian, Australian bloke him, yep. Yep, uh, he did quite well. Uh, so he played kind of one of the other astronauty figures. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was quite good. Oh, and uh, of course, Ted Kennedy in Chappaquiddick. Yeah, which, yeah, which yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like a pretty good, pretty good, uh, pretty good cast, but, um, 
Gosling <laughs> gets the vast majority of the screen time. <laughs> and he manages to play it in typical Gosling form, where, like, you think, like, fuck, man, did he cut, like, half his lines? Like, yeah. he was sent the yeah. script, and he goes, not saying that, not saying that, not, not saying this whole page, actually, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna sit there for three to four minutes of screen time in yeah. silence. I thought, well, he it, it just it made me realize that um, I think the it, it turns out that the first man on the moon was a bit of a cunt, really. I don't think so. I think Buzz Aldrin was played as a real cunt. Nah, he was he like was a, he every was line. A cocky he was this cocky bald prick, he was and every like, line he had was like. Yeah, but he's dead, so let's get his wallet and go buy beers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what shit like that? The unaware pragmatist. But um, I think that... Neil Buzz- Armstrong was just like, he never had... And I think it plays into his character pretty strongly. It's like, it's like this physicist engineer type And also dude. he doesn't really connect very well with other people or his family yeah. or like understand human emotion or <laughs> react well to like... Differently coloured patterns of lights and sound, or like <laughs> <laughs> it is nineteen sixty nine. Um, so yeah, I don't know. He he's just clearly like a, a little bit. Um, I, I think he's not quite. Uh, he does seem very emotionally distant throughout the film. That's a and b- I think much that better way to put it than I managed in thirty seconds. Of yeah, I gave you so much time. <laughs> no, um, and th- one of the main emotional drivers for this film is the fact that. In the early 60s, Neil Armstrong's young daughter died. Mm. Like, she might... I think I think in, in the film, the daughter is like two or three... Yeah, quite young. ...when she dies of some illness that either isn't specified or I don't remember. Um, like, there's this whole medical scene in the it's film... It's fucking where brain cancer. Giant, it is, right? Yeah. Okay, with this giant fucking death ray-looking thing. Um, <laughs> but throughout the whole An process X-ray. of this, like, <laughs> medical... <laughs> oh. <laughs> um... They keep telling me to go to hospital and have death rays. <laughs> <laughs> Thought he was trying to fucking kill me. Um, yeah, but so throughout that whole like hospital... Sorry, back to Ryan Gosling's kid dying of brain cancer. Mm. <laughs> um, throughout that whole scene in the hospital, Ryan Gosling's character does seem very emotionally distant, almost to the point where it seems like it kind of trivialises it, maybe a bit. Yeah, I um, just think he doesn't know how to cope, and he doesn't. Yeah, he sort of is very affected. He by doesn't it process throughout the emotionally. Film. He's very like conventionally masculine, but like quiet. He comes. He, he sort of sees like the ghost of his daughter. Like he hallucinates and sees his daughter mm. at multiple points throughout the, rest of the film. Like there'll be like kids playing in the park, and he sort of like sees his daughter as one of them, or like at a you know a, a like gathering with walking friends. through a house party. Yeah. And he sees her sitting in front of the fire and whatever, <laughs> house yeah. party. Yeah, but um, yeah, and so, so that's definitely. I mean, it's definitely interesting that that plays into the idea that Neil Neil Armstrong was supposed to be this emotionally distant kind of quiet, shy guy. Mm. I think that was probably more what it was that he's quiet and shy, and in a movie where like people are supposed to be speaking, they're performers, and they're supposed to sort of be a bit exuberant. Mm. The fact that he's not sort of stands out a bit. And you're like, oh, this guy doesn't give a fuck. I was like, well, no, he's kind of shy. Mm. I watched an interview with Neil Armstrong's kids. Oh, and yeah. They sort of asked that the interviewer asked him like, was that kind of what your dad was like, like kind of quiet? And because I think the interviewer was like, well, Ryan Gosling's. Well known for playing these kinds of roles, is that what he? Was? And they were like, "Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like it really, it really felt like dad." Wow. Um, there's a scene. I would, I would imagine that he's gone through and kind of studied. Yeah, Neil Armstrong because there's yeah. a fair bit of footage I mean, in interviews and stuff. And I think there's a lot of famous scenes they recreate that I'm not familiar with, but you can tell that they've gone to great efforts to sort of. It, it feels like they've gone to great efforts to recreate some sort of scenes precisely. Like there's this pre, there are these pre and post Apollo 11 uh, mission press conferences. Yeah. 
that I went up and lo- I lo- looked at later, and they sort of created those shot for shot with the sort of lines that they've been trading. And yeah, stuff, right. Which is cool. Okay. Um, yeah, and so Ryan Ryan Gosling plays the character in a way that is apparently quite authentic. Yeah. Um, which must have been nice to watch, but kind of creepy at the same time. I don't know. Yeah. What I. No, he did a good job. What I was trying to remember and just got to, hey, hey, is there's a scene sort of halfway through the film where um, Neil Armstrong's wife has sort of been doing a lot of the emotional heavy lifting in the family and um, Neil's never home because he's always at training or at work or whatever. Um, and she's like, look, you're, you're going to the moon. And he becomes more distant over the course of the film. Yeah. Like, well, he definitely struggles more and more. So, yeah, I don't know if this is a light spoiler. It's always hard when films are based on historical it. Right events. now, we're going to... If, you, if you're interested in going and seeing it, you've been listening anyway. It's really We're going to spoil it, anything from now. It's really, really good. It's worth seeing. Yeah. I learned a lot of stuff about the mission and a lot of stuff about the personal lives of these astronauts that I thought mm. was really great and mm. definitely worth seeing and learning about. Because even though it is based on historical events, it's based on a lot of very specific, very personal historical events surrounding these missions that I had no idea about. Yeah. Launching into it. I didn't know as many people died on that. So that was what I was going to say. So many of his friends... So you see, like, throughout the film, him sort of buddying up with these astronauts that he's being trained up with, Mm. and they die. All of the guys going on the Gemini missions. Yeah, like, all of his friends die throughout the film, pretty much. And so that contributes to what you were saying about him becoming a bit more distant. Yeah, and also, like, I don't know. So I, I felt like one of the threads through... The whole film starts right at the and Chazelle's done a good job on this. He it starts right at that first flight of the X fifteen rocket yeah. plane. He almost dies where, in the um, first in the first mission we see. He yeah, almost so dies. He goes almost right crashes up. into like a fucking mountain. He goes right. Well, before that, if you recall, he goes right up out of the atmosphere and then he's trying to re-enter, but he bounces off the atmosphere. That's right. Yeah, and he has to like correct for it without really knowing how, mm. and he just has to improvise. Yeah, I remember because I thought it struck me as. He almost Amazing. dies twice yeah. in, in really clear need to av- act to avoid ways. Yeah. That was yeah. another amazing thing about like one of those, like, man, this is technically impressive that we even did the moon mm. landing thing. <laughs> um, where like Neil Armstrong in the film is talking about, like he's talking, he's sort of gushing to his wife in a way I can relate to. Like, how cool is this? We learned about this and this and this and this. Yeah, yeah. And they were, he was learning about the physics of how to fly spacecraft in outer space which is already amazing because people have barely ever done that. So yeah. people had to sit there and think about how to write a textbook about how to fly a plane in mm. space. Um, and he was talking about how like, oh, um, it turns out if you want to go in this direction and you're in space, you have to thrust in this direction, which is totally different to how it is on Earth. Yeah, if so you like, have atmosphere, you thrust in the opposite direction. These are just good fighter yeah. pilots who had to yeah. go up there and the first time they ever flew these ships was when they were in space and could die from it. Yeah. Which is yeah, amazing. Which is, yeah, crazy. I guess that's kind of like learning to fly the first time, right? Yeah. Like you've never... Now we've got simulators, but I don't know. I mean, back then they sort of did, but not like we do yeah. now where, you know, you've, you've got like a video game that's a I simulator. Mean, but m- Maybe it means they're used to it, but yeah, I just thought it was... thought it was Back then it was... Friggin' incredible. Incredible, yeah. So like that first... Um, yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. That, that first flight where he goes up and he's, he goes out of the atmosphere, he's clearly meant to exit the atmosphere and then pretty immediately re-enter yeah. uh, and come back down to Earth and like kind of, I don't know... It's been proved it was possible to exit the atmosphere and then re-enter, right? I, I don't happening. think we, we haven't really specifically explained what that mission was. I think sure the point of that was that it was meant to be able to exit and then re-enter because this yeah, was okay. years before the Gemini missions. Right, okay. So, what you see is he exits and he's above for like this brief like, I thought that moment. might have been a test pilot thing. I thought that was just... Because I think that was before he mentioned the mi- into those missions. I think he was just, yeah. sh- just showing him one of his parts of his career as a test pilot, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was early 60s, I think. Whatever so, it was, still yeah. like eight years or whatever before. Um, and he exits the atmosphere and he spends 
this these few moments like looking at kind of looking at the surface of the earth from so far above it that you can clearly see its curvature most of his visual field is space just black yeah and there's no sound and I think Chazelle might even completely get rid of sound I think during so. this period. <laughs> I remember trying so, to eat my chips. Yeah. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> but so he completely like, Chazelle gives you this sort of like, other than vision, just like sensory deprivation in that moment. Yeah. And I think what you're really meant to see is that this, this is one of the first um, and maybe a rare moment for, for Armstrong feeling at peace and really... Yeah. Um, getting a sort of I don't know existential clarity. That's how I kind of felt, and well, and this was pretty ambitious to try and establish like two or three minutes in yeah. the film. But he did a great job, and you get these moments where uh, during this, where um, Armstrong's thinking about his daughter because she's sick during this period, and so you have this like relief where I think he's gotten far enough away from it that he's able to kind of think about it and process it. Yeah. And it distracts him, stuff goes wrong and he has to and come so, literally and metaphorically come back down to earth. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's interesting. And in that like, he gets this very brief moment of calm and that's immediately snatched from him. And he's taught like, no, you can never have that. Cause like the moment you're distracted and the moment you might yeah. get a bit emotional, a bit introspective is the moment that you might fucking die. Well, I think and then he almost taught, dies twice. I think he's not taught that you can never have that. I think he's, taught that it comes with a cost yeah and a risk yeah and so like when he's when he's being asked if you know he's being asked in the interview for the apollo programs in the gemini program like do you think that your daughter's death is going to affect you and he says basically like i think it would be unreasonable to assume it won't affect me yeah and they let him in anyway i saw that as kind of being him kind of thinking look i know i have this family down on earth but it's not the same since what happened yeah and i've experienced that kind of peace once and i just i'll i'll i will do whatever it takes including dying yeah. to to get that again to be there again to experience oh. that again and he does and he knows yeah. that it might kill him but his he can't let go of that he can't let go of the death of his daughter and he can't let go of the feeling of sanctity that he got while he was there yeah. and those two things together. And that's what leads him to just kind of like relentlessly pursue this, even though his friends are fucking dropping like flies. And yeah. Well, see, I thought that was something that was, so I heard someone else talking about that nature of the film and sort of the, all these astronauts that were sacrificing everything mm. for the good of this because it destroys race. their families as well you see multiple like because there's lots of scenes of like you know house parties and sort of street gatherings with like you know husband and wife and kids and all these astronauts seem to sort of hang out together yeah, yeah. socially because they're the only people that understand each other <laughs> i suppose and so, so yeah. like you can barely you, you know you see him talking to his wife when he's having that conversation yeah. you were talking about earlier yeah and he's trying to talk about the physics of the orbit and she's just like yeah mm, yeah yeah that's mm, really yeah. neat and he's just like yep yeah, and it's immediately yeah. clear like it. you don't yeah. get it and even if you do get it you sort of just don't care in the yeah. way that I care and yeah. my buddies do care about exactly. it so. and yeah. so you get to know the buddies and you get to know their wives and their families quite well over the film mm. and so when one of them dies you then have to watch the wife become a widow and you sort of watch multiple and the wives of friends as well exactly so. so you watch more than one of these sort of wives go through this grief and you really and, and the astronauts watch their buddy's wife grieving and yeah. you know, man, they, they know what their families have to go through and they're doing it anyway it's this like 
for the good of all of humanity, for the good of scientific achievement, ultimate sacrifice kind of thing, where they're yeah. like, because they're like the most elite, best trained soul, best best trained pilots in the world, pretty well. I don't think it's interesting that you should pitch it as like an altruistic thing, because I'm not sure that that's really what it was. Like, I think, yeah. I think that this film does not try to approach the question of whether or not it's they were really, acting altruistically or really selfishly. It's not really patriotic kind of thing. I think it's like both. That, it? It's like, yeah. the, it, it, it reflects, it, it just leaves up all of the possible options of what the motivations are for doing yeah. this. It gives you a slew of kind of inclinations that Gosling might yeah. have, but he never talks about it because he never talks about his feelings. <laughs> his wife talks about it sometimes, but if anything, the way that his wife interacts is, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, yeah. where like she sits him down and is like, you have to fucking tell your kids that you are choosing to maybe die and that you may not come back. Yeah. And that that is on you because I'm not going to have that fucking conversation with them. That's I one of the that kind biggest of parts of the f- biggest sort of staple scenes in the whole film yeah. is the kitchen dining room scene they have mm. where his wife forces him to sit down and tell his kids, we're going to have this mission and we might not come back and I might die. And he doesn't even say it like that. He doesn't even say it like that. He he has almost it like, treats it's like, it like a press, press conference. conference. It's, it's gross. His and kids get no fucking emotion from him. Clearly, very nervous. And I think it comes back to the thing where he's sort of not very comfortable with getting very emotionally attached or expressing his emotions. Well, like having kids, he's quite reserved. I think he loved his daughter so much that he just doesn't want to. Might have fucked him. He around. can't do that again. Yeah. You know, or like he doesn't. I think know it how might be one of those things that he doesn't want to get too emotionally attached. It doesn't quite. Ever I don't think he's it, actively doing it like that. I don't think he's making like a, a subcon- choice. Yeah, where he's saying, no, it's I'm like not a subconscious get this close thing. To my kids. Yeah. He just doesn't know how to do that again. Yeah, and like, yeah, he just it, it's you know he's talking to his 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 like I don't know probably seven or eight year old kids yeah. like they're men and his like his younger kid hugs him and then leaves and, and his older kid, kid shakes, shakes his hand. His hand. I watched it that and same he interview. Nods at him, and then yeah. like Gosling like nods at his kid, and then he this kid just goes to bed. Yeah, it's it's, it's horribly it's really unfulfilling, weird. and it's really stilted. Gosling, and you said really it's, get like it's yeah. so intentional. Gosling said in some interview that they did that scene multiple times in multiple different ways to try and sort of get the right dynamic, sort of yeah. the whole cast sort of together, sort of trying to work out how it might go. How would we do and this? And they yeah. asked the sons like, "Is that kind of how that was?" And one of them, I didn't quite. The younger one. They're both obviously grown there now. Didn't quite remember. Um, and the oh, the older, real sons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The real sons. The younger one, who's now I don't know, from fucking forty or fifty yeah, or something, yeah. didn't quite remember. And the older one said, oh, "Again, I don't, I don't really remember, but I definitely remember that we had never had a family meeting before. And yeah. if we ever sat down and just chatted, it was in like the kitchen. This was in our like formal dining room, and it was this like whole right. thing where we sat down, and Dad told us that he might not come back. Yeah. Kind of thing." Um, and so he said he definitely sort of got that idea that it had that memory that it was this formal thing that mm. he didn't quite remember. Um, so I really thought that the performances throughout the whole film were really good. Yeah, they were great. I was never broken out of it. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. And I think and that Gosling right, did a really good job. But Gosling also, it was kind of tip, sort of typical Gosling. Like, in the same yeah. way, it's like, I feel like maybe he just. He's a good actor, but he definitely always picks very similar roles. I don't know. I, I think seeing the... him in Blade Runner and then apparently, um, what was the film that a friend of the show, Zach, was telling me to watch another film where, because people say like, oh, his role in Notebook, like you get to see an emotional side of uh, him. He was, he, was, he was really funny in Shane Black's The Nice Guys. That was really good. That was, yeah, that um, was like good physical comedic it acting. Just, it makes me wonder the way that he picks his roles specifically based on whether they'll be like suitable for his specific 
genre of acting, if that makes any sense. Um, oh, he probably auditioned, you know. Yeah. Um, Let me check what this movie was, because like he just has he has much greater range than people give him credit for. Yeah. I think he just does tend to go for these like emotionally really nuanced, <laughs> like. Uh, what, what, I've seen that like there's a whole bunch of films muted roles. Yeah, well, there's a whole bunch of films he has that are really similar. Like The Place Beyond the Pines is a yeah, really okay. good film where he almost says nothing the whole time. <laughs> same as Drive, same as this. He almost says nothing the whole mm. time. And so they're different characters, mm. and you just sort of definitely get different emotional reads from him in each different film. But like, oh, The Big Short, he was really he was different so in The Big Short. Good. He was like, fucking great. He in the was big cocky short. and arrogant. Yeah, no, like black gelled up. <laughs> yeah, La La Land as well. Yeah, no, okay, fine. Yeah, he's 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 so got. He, really. he really does have a it's lot just, of range. When he does Ryan Gosling, he does Ryan Gosling. Yeah, and this is like I think Neil Armstrong was just a a really like subdued and muted and kind of introverted guy. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think we both really enjoyed it. If we talk um just quickly through some of the other stuff I had to say here before we can move on to mm. the next film, um, lots of practical effects in this film. Uh, sure. There's, I, I watched a making of thing where they were Amazing showing, that showing they actually how actually put a dude on the fucking moon to film yeah. that scene. <laughs> that was another thing. <laughs> this movie is literally showing how you could fake the moon landing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Except it's happening 50 years after they have the technology <laughs> no, to yeah. do yeah. that. So. But, um, uh. so, like, the launches of the Saturn V, they're all done with, like, to scale models. Oh, yeah. And those cool. are all rocket launches. Um, rocket launches. Um,. <laughs> The um, lo- they say they use a lot of the same kind of zero g effects that you've had in Interstellar and in things like two thousand and one from the past. Yeah, There's yeah, lots yeah. of camera tricks and things to make it look like they're in zero g. Like even down for example, plane, like like twenty kilometers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or like shooting from below and um, hanging them off wires. Yeah, so it yeah, just yeah. kind of looks like they're floating there. And it's this weird camera angle, but really it's like any other camera angle, and you'd see they're just hanging there. Mm, <laughs> mm, mm. Um. A really vintage kind of feel to the whole film. We mentioned before, it clearly looks like it's shot on film a lot of the time. Yeah, a lot something of the text super interesting overlays about that. kind of look like old school video superimposed text yeah. overlays because they're kind of weird and blurry. Like I don't know. Done physically in post, yeah. Yeah. Something interesting that I did think is at this point, at some point in this film, it definitely switches to digital. When they're on the moon, it looks like it's And all I'm digital. pretty sure it's when they're on the moon. And what a fucking interesting choice to swap off yeah. film grain when. It's off Earth. Yeah. Because when you're on the moon... The one time when people have seen the film. I think it's it's probably technically because it's a lot easier to CG that shit when you've got it digitally. (laughs) No, I don't think that would have been the choice. I think the choice would have been I want to give the moon and like an otherworldly futuristic I suppose it definitely probably complements it artistically. But like... What what happened was like... I don't know how you'd CG film, but I imagine it involves a lot of scanning and all the fucking frames and shit. Whereas, like, if you're CGing... Oh, well, after, CG stuff after you filmed on it. No, because yeah. no, you just scan it in digitally and then do the same shit you would do digitally yeah, anyway. You have, the, you have the frames... I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, because once you've imported them digitally, you can do whatever the fuck you want. I suppose so. So, no, it's no harder. I think he's yeah. done it to make it, like, uh, to, to, yeah, okay. to give it a different clarity. Cause I would it, love to ask someone You get lots of, like... Not. Yeah. We... Well, literally, Someone if you, that's not to, you. you would just scan, 30, <laughs> scan 35 mil and then do whatever you want digitally to it. But, yeah. Um, when they're on the moon, you get lots of lots of shots of the like close-ups of the um, close-ups of the suits, um, close-ups yeah. of reflections in their visors, close-ups yeah. of the landscape. Um, well, what's not, clo- a point not close-ups. What's a of point the of view kind of shots? Point of view shots of 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 wide angle. Sorry, of yeah. the landscapes. 
Um, but lots of like hyper detail on the suit and the ship and stuff. They and, of and course recreate like... the famous moon landing footage that everyone has seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and in high quality. That, when you get that like on Earth, when he's watching a swing set in a park, or he's imagining his daughter, or he's he's yeah. in a room trying to figure out how to emotionally interact with the t- kids, that's all blurry, grainy film. It feels like and, a home and, movie almost. Yeah. There's a lot of handheld shots. I thought that kind of echoed what I was getting at earlier where it's it, he doesn't feel right. Yeah. In that moment, but the moments that he will truly remember in with with a sort of mental right. clarity. It's like instant when clarity he's, when in he's there, when well. he's when he was doing that thing that no one's ever done before when yeah. he was when he was pushing those boundaries and when he was getting a sensorium that a human's never experienced before. Yeah. That's when he is at his mental clearest. And that's when I'd be interested to see if the XR or the X 15 scene is on film as well, because yeah. um, you have to go back and watch it. Yeah. Again. I, I think, uh, yeah. definitely that was a clear choice where I said, I, I, it felt different. And yeah, all of a absolutely. sudden I realized like, Oh, it's cause it's digital now. Like yeah. this isn't, this doesn't have that film effect and it's very, yeah noticeable yeah I feel like often different. I don't notice it because they probably correct for that shit but it really feels like he was trying to emphasize the graininess yeah, of the film and then it was a real tool in yeah. juxtaposition to that really show you how clear the digital was and then was. he comes back down afterwards and he's back yeah. onto film I so, think maybe maybe yeah. the whole movie thing I sort of offhandedly well, I wasn't really thinking about this before. Maybe that's kind of part of it because you really sort of get a window into his family life. It does look like it old sixties feels home 60s movies. documentary. Like if you look yeah. at like I, I'm making it up, but I imagine like you know old home movies of like when JFK was a kid or whatever, and it's just like some fucking dude has just bought the world's first ever video camera. And it's all on Super Eight or whatever yeah. the fuck it is, um, sixteen mil. I imagine um, it feels like that. Lots of crazy close ups of like people's faces and stuff, just like walking through a room. <laughs> um, I really thought that the sound in this film was really great. Yep. When he's in the ships, there's lots of creaky noises and sort yeah. of... It really emphasizes that this is just a fucking it's tin. It's a bucket of bolts, tin can. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing but a bit of corrugated iron between you oh, and the endless of void of space. Can, one of the most intense scenes in this entire film was when the oxygen fire happens. And, um, yeah. And, like, th- again, massive spoiler, like... Three of his astronauts. Three of the main characters die. Go, and it was because they chose to pull him off a thing, put him on a different mission, and put one of his friends in his. I didn't realize that that was what that was. I think so. Fuck. I think so because he was like, "What are you going to do with that guy?" And they're like, "Oh, we'll put his brain to use on something else," and he ended up dying on that something else. That was like the practice launch. They were going to practice the cockpit. I didn't know that it happened. But that was it's obviously all based on real events. It was like, yeah, four of the main st- astronauts we've been showing this whole film get in the cockpit, and it's just like a practice. Including the, the, the lined-up commander yeah. for the Apollo mission. Yeah, I think it's literally. I think it was literally just a practice, let's turn everything on on the rocket and just yeah. see if everything turns on, and it fucking explodes. There's a fire in the cabin, and because they're hyperventilating it with oxygen, mm. it blows up. But like the way that you see the actual... You see the fire, and then the way that you see it spread... Um, well, hopefully everyone's watched it. And like that, just that moment from the outside, it shows the explosion from the outside of the rocket and just the door kind of like blows out but doesn't explode or fall <laughs> like off or anything. It just, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> almost cartoonish, but the silence is cliche, but yeah. it, the silence is deafening after that moment Yeah, where there's this shocking moment yeah. of like three lives being lost and then yeah. just nothing looking at that door afterwards it's such a such a quiet little thing and and in the grand scheme of a rocket launch it was just like this little yeah but like 
you know, it reflects so much loss and pain. Like, yeah, yeah, really, really cool. A we, good, a good sound. There's lots of, um, there's lots of, uh, dead, dead space <laughs> in this movie where sound is used in its absence, and it's sort of, we get just a character kind of thinking about stuff. We see their body language. We'll hear ambient noise, but we won't hear. You know, there's not a lot of music. Um, there's not a lot of, there are points, uh, extended points reflecting, um, Neil Armstrong's inner state where it's kind of really, uh, no, no one's talking, you know, there's a scene, there's a scene that where he kind of addresses that where he walks away from a party and someone comes up to him like, Hey man, you should, uh, and he's just like, do you reckon I fucking left the party to talk to someone? Yeah. You know? That reminds me of one of my favorite bits of the whole film is all the lighting. There's lots of mm. scenes with Neil sort of outside. It's almost surreal. Looking at the moon. And you're like, we yeah. get it. You landed on the moon. Jesus. Um, <laughs> looking like, at the day, moon. I'm going to fucking mount that thing. <laughs> In the dark. Lots of scenes that are mostly darkness. Mm. Um, lit by like the light from a distant window. Yeah. When he's outside. Or, or literally like, the lit moon. Lit by the moon. Yeah. Um, they look amazing. Yeah. And they really... really really sort of put you in his shoes in the same way as like when he's looking at the porthole of the spaceship when he's in orbit in space and it looks outside and the whole screen is basically fucking black to be with, orbit, like, not in space. <laughs> <laughs> with like a distant blinking whatever yeah and you can barely see anything and it really kind yeah. of puts you in his shoes and that's yeah, kind of what you're I mentioned. like kind of peering through the this inky blackness and trying to fucking like, find fuck, I can't see anything and, and he's like, like oh that's what that's also like. looking for it yeah, yeah. it's frustrating because you're like is it is it is there a thing there or am i just seeing like a, a big reflection in the window or yeah exactly yeah, really cool um, reminds me as well of a lot of the sound effects with the creaky stuff where it really builds and adds to the suspense and adds to yeah. like the feeling of immersion that the film almost has yes definitely um, yeah really cool I really really like this film yeah it's really good it was really good I'm a big fan of um, Chazelle and just yeah. uh, like he's 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 done it again <laughs> a bloody he's legend done it again he's done he's done very well um everyone everyone in it's great and uh it's a really enjoyable thing to watch especially i think i think the less that you've looked into what what the events surrounding the moon landing were maybe yeah. the more interesting this will be yeah absolutely because um, it it does cover a lot of it it even at one point goes to this like 60s cartoon thing of like the astronauts will attempt to launch <laughs> from the surface of the planet Rejoin two parts of a rocket and yeah. like it's very arc nineteen sixty nine. It actually gives you the whole like moon. It gives you the the Apollo mission through one of those like illustrations. Sixties ass Fallout Four things. ass yeah, yeah, cartoons. Yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah. yeah, very cool. Um, I had to round it out, dude. You want to do a better than worse then? Yeah, I think this film was better than Gravity. I agree. I was thinking better than Gravity. I think. Considering I've always fallen asleep during the monkey scene, I, it's, it's better than 2001. <laughs> oh, never yeah, seen okay. anything. Never Gra- seen anything more than the better. first 25 minutes of Gravity 2001. Is a much better comparison than 2001. Yeah, they're not trying to do the same thing, thing at all. Yeah. But in terms of, they're both it, movies. They it, both have space in them. It and Gravity kind of are trying to do. I the feel same like thing. Gravity is more a thriller action film. Yeah. that is set in space. It's like coincidentally. Coincidentally it's a disaster movie, but yeah. in space. It's like, oh, it's also in space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think still better than Gravity. Yep. This is more like a drama family kind of film, but mm. I still thought it was a, it's film, a, a film about families is what I mean. Yeah, yeah it's character, character study. study. Um, I don't really have a worse than. I think that I... 
I might. I would hazard to I say worse than Interstellar. <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah, I was thinking of the same thing for space movies, but a better yeah. point would be uh, if I'd watched um, the Apollo film with Tom Hanks. Apollo thirteen. Yeah, because that would have been an interesting one to compare this to. Yeah, um, that's the one where they try and land on the moon two more times, right? But I haven't <laughs> seen it. No, I haven't seen it. That would have been so. Good. I don't know whether or not you're right. That would have been good. Trying I to think, think that's the any... one where they hold it shut with a pencil or whatnot. Yeah, the, 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 the humans human parody. Yeah, yeah. Um, the humans. The Sims <laughs> God damn. Trying to think of um, maybe like a bio. I think I enjoyed. I think I enjoyed Interstellar more. And yeah. okay, here's another. But thing. again, the problem so, is those films are different kinds of films. Right. Damien Chazelle does character studies very, very well. Yeah. Don't know about La La Land, but this was not. Uh, this was worse than Whiplash. I like right, Whiplash okay. much better. Okay, but I but that's just I I would rate both of these films incredibly highly. Whiplash yeah. is one of my favorite films ever. This is one of my favorite films I've that, seen so far on the podcast. I think so. that um, Whiplash's main character is more interesting than Neil Armstrong. <laughs> yeah. So I liked watching um, Andrew, whatever his name is, on screen better. Yeah, I don't um, know either. Whatever but, the fuck uh, his name is, the drum guy. Yeah, the the yeah. the little drummer boy from Flash. <laughs> I really liked that. Yeah. But but this was a, a sort of very different type of character study anyway. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. great. Um should we move on to the next film we're gonna do? Yeah. The next film we have I don't think we even introduced it at the start of the episode. No, we didn't. But it'll be in the fucking title. You've uh, so. yeah, you've read the title. Get uh, the next film that we've done Miles Teller. Miles the main, Teller. The main Andrew. character's name is Andrew <laughs> Neiman. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um Bad Times at the El Royale, mm. which is a film. I think it's almost the debut feature film from this director, yeah. who also wrote it. His name, his name is <laughs> uh, Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard. <laughs> um, I think it's his first time. No, 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 no. He no? directed Cabin in the Woods. Oh shit! Really? Yeah. Oh, we, oh, you know what? We had this conversation before. Yeah, because I always I <laughs> thought that was Joss Whedon. Dummy. No, Joss Whedon <laughs> co-wrote. Yeah. Okay. Um, that came out this year again. Again, very recently this year, it'll be yeah. a new release, sort of at around the time this episode comes out. This is another film that I thought was really, really good. Yeah, loved it's it. Totally different. This is kind of more of a, a thriller mystery kind of movie. Yeah, it's a little bit um, feels a bit Coen Brothersy. It's a little Coen Brothers, a little uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, um, a little Mad Men. A little Mad Men because it's got. Several mad men. J O N H A M M. What is that? One N, two M's. What John does Ham. that spell? John Ham. <laughs> what does that spell? What's, no, what's really. Spelling out? No. Stop spelling. No, Tell really, me the way. really, I'm asking. I, I stopped keeping track after J O N. Really cool film. So this is set in kind of. A, uh, see, I don't it's know hard. If it's explicit, but also it's hard 60s, to tell. I think. I think kind of late sixties. Yeah, but it's hard to tell when it's set because it's set in this old, rundown hotel mm. that looks like it was furnished in the late fifties. It's set in like a Fargo time where it's like, <laughs> well, you know, where, where like some stuff is clearly yeah. sort of early seventies, some stuff's clearly late fifties. Like, oh, here we go. It says it says on the um. My oh no, because it grounds. My it with thing Nixon. here, nineteen seventy. Yeah, so it yeah, grounds are right. Of course, because yeah. I remember because it's so it's set. The whole film is set in this hotel. Mm. This hotel on the border between uh, California and, and Nevada. Nevada, Las Vegas. Um, yeah. Um, in 1970, Maybe not Las Vegas, just and Nevada. it's really kind of difficult to place the time originally mm. because the, f- the hotel looks all run down and it looks like a 1950s ass hotel. 
And I think the first thing the clerk says when they get into the hotel is like, oh, it's a bit past its prime. And there's all these photos on the walls of like 50s celebrities like Marilyn yeah. Monroe kind of living at large in this now empty dining and casino area. Yeah. Um, the film, I thought, was really interestingly told in terms of its storytelling. It's one of those films with a big ensemble cast with a huge, a whole bunch of different characters. A so Jeff Bridges cast. So Jeff Bridges is like a preacher, uh, priest, priest type character. Um, John Hamm is a vacuum cleaner salesman. There is like this this hippie looking woman. Um, Played by Kaylee Spaney. Yeah, and there's like a, a black woman as well who turns out to be a soul Cynthia singer. Arrivo. Yeah, so there's there's a whole bunch of different characters mm. um, that all kind of rock up to check in at this deserted and you looking. Get none of their fucking names. Yeah, and you get none of their names, none of their backstories. The film sort of. Oh, I mean that no one listening to this podcast is going to get the character. Oh right, names no, we don't also know. not. No, we're going to get a uh, black soul lady, Jeff Bridges. Um, whatever. Really keeping my phone open with like the cast. (laughs) (laughs) Dakota Johnson plays like a uh, young uh, sort of curt woman who keeps to herself. Um, Oh, sorry, she's the hippie lady. She's the hippie lady. Kaylee Spaney is the hippie lady's younger sister. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Great. Um, Point is, whole bunch of characters. You don't get very much information out of them, which are. It's Beef Station. The way that it introduces them. The way that it introduces them is great. So they they all rock up. In quick succession. And they all have to sign in and check into the hotel. Yeah. But the way that it... God, this... The fucking opening scene of this film. Yeah. The establishing little piece is so good. I really liked it because you get this... You, Rem- so remind it, me. I think it opens up with Jeff Bridges or thereabouts. <laughs> um, Bridges and Cynthia Erivo, they both arrive in the car park. And That's Jeff Bridges black is soul like... Singer. Yeah, and Jeff Bridges is like, "Oh, can I help you with your bags?" And they end up walking in together. And then John Hamm is in the foyer. Yeah, and and so you get this like, okay, there's a priest, there's a soul singer, there's the vacuum salesman who's like door to door salesman, obnoxious dude from the south with yeah. like a ridiculous I do declare southern accent. <laughs> and like, so he goes and he's like, he just talks for like five yeah. minutes, and um. And he's saying, like, oh, I've been here trying to ring the bell for fucking reception. Yeah, there's, like, a deserted reception. Yeah. So they kind of have a conversation with each other. The pacing of character introductions is really great. Because you start to become absolutely enthralled with, like, who these characters are and what they're doing here and why. Oh, And it adds to the mystery because you have no idea who these people are. Because the opening of the film and, like, um, we uh, we won't spoil just yet. Yeah. We'll let you know. But, like... We're going to pretty quickly go into spoilers because there's a lot of yeah. like, twists and turns in this film. So it starts off with um, fucking Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson. Uh, yeah, Nick Offerman. Nick Opperman. Offerman. Who would you fucking Nick Offerman? <laughs> No, um, Gothman, man. Yeah, right. That's it. it. The it first shot. Nick Offerman. It's like a locked off shot looking. Straight, where it stays looking at the same hotel room, same, as if it's like a play, like a theater, like a diorama, set. Yeah. yeah. And it just does it. It so it shows him arriving in the pouring rain, like, like hurriedly slamming the checking door, checking the door, like acting like someone's coming after him. And then he starts like once he's he's kind of been been alone for a little while, um, and time has passed. He starts like ripping up, he, mo- carefully moving everything off the floor, all the furniture off, the carpet, off to one side, rips, rips up, up the carpet, floorboards. rips up floorboards. Yep. Puts a bag under the floorboards and starts putting everything back exactly as it was. Yeah. And this person. So he like um, buries a bit, buries a suitcase. Yeah. Under the floor of his hotel yeah, room. Yeah, right. And I guess. And that's... after he's put everything back, someone comes in and shoots him. Yeah. Okay. Um. 
And so that's the opening scene. I guess yeah. it's a spoiler for the first like two minutes of the film. No, it's not, I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, it's not really. That's the whole thing. That's, it's an opening that's what's scene, and then it cuts is, ten years yeah, later. Exactly. Like, why is he being killed? What's who is he? Yeah. Because um, he's not introduced or anything at all. And so the whole film gives you this sense of mystery. Yeah. And so you, every time these characters are being introduced in your brain, you're, you're like, like, "What the fuck is this who, got to do with? Did one of them? Is one of them the person who killed him? Like, is it, how do they know? How does any? How do any of these people know what happened and why? And yeah, yeah. Because the whole time you're like, "All right, someone's going to try and get." Whatever the fuck's Someone in that knows bag. what's going on. Yeah. yeah, and that that's the real fucking murder on the Orient Express aspect of this film. I suppose because the you idea know is this thing has happened. You know, yeah. there are these people, but you don't know anything about them, so you slowly yeah. get introduced. And so the only way you get introduced to these characters is through their introductions to the other guests in yeah. the hotel. And so it's one of the things that you don't know whether they, you don't get like private alone moments with any of the characters. Mm. It's all like watching people interact with other people, and you have no idea who's lying. Yeah, it doesn't tell you who and is before, who. Really, before people think like, oh, it's all direct expositiony, where they're like. Oh, I'm a vacuum cleaner salesman, <laughs> and I was born, and it's not like it's that. It's really good. It's really, really cleverly yeah. done. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, a couple of other people rock up, including um, yeah Dakota Johnson, who basically is cold from the very outset. Um, yeah. Like, when she's supposed to sign in the guest register, she just writes, like, fuck you, and... Um, like she's just really, yeah, she's just a, a real really standoffish and kind of like keeps to herself, yeah, exactly. kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I guess that's like most of the, yeah, most of the cast. But then the interesting bit about the way the film, so they sort of the the um, uh, clerk, the concierge, finally mm. sort of <laughs> gets to his senses and comes out and serves them and checks them all in um, and assigns them all rooms. Uh, so like John John Ham's like I have to, I want to be you guys can all check in before me I'll sit here and you guys can check in but I'm, but in, the I'm in the honeymoon suite, suite. <laughs> and so he gets room one I think Darlene is the name of the singer she gets room five John Ham uh, no the hippie lady uh, gets room seven Jeff Bridges gets room four they all get their fucking rooms mm. um, so the clerk by the way is played by Lewis Pullman who apparently is in the new Top Gun movie. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, Top Gun Maverick to be released in 2020. I thought he was really good. Mm. Um, He's got a familiar face. I've definitely seen him in some other shit before. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, But then the way it tells the story is it tells you the story room by room. Yeah. So it tells you the fucking cool way to do it. So first it tells you, so it spends a good 15, 20 minutes giving you all of the backstory and all of the like from that moment two hours into the future about John Hamm. So it's like, yep. here's everything John Hamm does from the moment he checks in for the next two or three hours. Yeah. And then it sort of zooms back in time and does the same for the next character. Mm. And so it does the same for um, the soul singer next. Cynthia. Arriba. And then it sort of flashes between these two rooms. So like in the same way, some rooms but it might be like act one, act two. This will be like act one, John Hamm. It'll be like room, sorry, sorry, room yeah, room, one. Sorry, yeah, the whole yeah. one. Room one, John Hamm. And then the next scene is like room five, Darlene. Yeah. And it's like, here's what's going on in room five. And the whole time, you're like, when the fuck is this? Yeah. It's gonna, is it going to be like- Because you don't know yeah. which room- Nick Is the Hoffman one where he buried this bag in. Yeah. So you're like, when the fuck is it going to be like room X? Yeah. And it's just some fucking person ripping up floorboards. And like John Hamm's <laughs> character is, is introduced in one of the most interesting ways where he yeah. goes into the room- he goes into his room and one of the first things he does is he like calls his family back yeah. home. And as he's on the phone with his daughter, um, he's talking and he's like At unscrewing the, same time, the base plate of the phone. <laughs> taking and he pulls apart the whole fucking the cap, phone. <laughs> and he pulls off a bug yeah. in the phone. And he's like, like a tiny little microphone. <laughs> and he's like, 
talking to his daughter at the same time. He's not mentioning anything, obviously. Um, and he puts it to the side and then he kind of like has this funny look on his face and he like turns it over again and like pulls off this thing that's another bug and it looks yeah. different to the first one. And then he like starts checking elsewhere around the room. And so and already you're like, oh, maybe this guy isn't who he says Maybe he this is. guy's not quite, yeah. Why would a guitar salesman be checking the phone for bugs? And uh, then he pulls out like a salesman. false bottom in his suitcase and yeah. it's this like fucking bug finding like tool bug kit. kit. And he yeah. then, it's then a montage and he finds like 30 fucking hidden microphones yeah. in the and whole room. And he's lining them up on a table where it's like one type of bug. Yeah, across from one of the other types of bugs, and he's found like fifteen rows and rows and rows of each different yeah. type of microphone. And and so shit. it's like, right, yeah. there's two sides bugging this room. Like, what's what's going yeah, on? Yeah, but that? then they're like microphone underneath the wallpaper and shit like that. So you're like, yeah. right, so there's something going on with this hotel, yeah, and with this guy. And right as it gets interesting, of course, it cuts and it yeah. goes to like the next yeah. singer. It's like and we'll come back to him later. The singer's like, oh, some down on her luck singer who's yeah. literally just at the hotel because she's going to sing in a show the next day in some fucking yeah. shitty bar or casino or whatever nearby. Um and then, right, as that kind of gets interesting, that cuts. Um, yeah. Should we say, John so, Hamm, what he's actually doing? I well, think that's one well, of the first. Just before, as like a, a closing a closing kind of comments to the non-spoilery bits. Yeah. Um, this film has been receiving some, some generally positive but mixed reviews. Yeah. Um, and the the main, I'll read out one review section that kind of summarizes sure. the criticism. So this is from the playlist.net. Um, and they say, Goddard's comparatively leisurely pace may disappoint the more impatient. Oh, sorry. Okay. So this is a bit of a, this is a bit of a rebuff to the criticism. So the general criticism that I was reading was saying the, pa- the pacing of the film is too slow. So it's two hours and 20 yeah. minutes or something like that. I thought that. it was cool. It was great. I really thought that it I was, really enjoyed I it. I have no support or agreement with the criticisms that I've read of this film. Yeah. I mean, so, see, I feel like you often say in this podcast, you don't care how long a movie is. Like, you, you'll gladly really watch, like, don't. a fucking three-hour movie. So, I think, in a, from, like, a more realistic perspective, which I think is what <laughs> <Yours>. I have. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, if you're not fucking crazy, I think the point, the reason why I don't think this pacing feels slow, I don't know how long the movie is. It might be sort of two and a half hours. It's almost. about two hours, 20, yeah. But, um... It's not like it's showing you one story that's taking a long time. It sort of takes its time to show you what one character does in one in the same in time moment, frame, yeah. and then zooms back and shows you what the same char- what a different character is doing in that same window yeah. of time. So even though it's not really advancing the story, you're like it's it's mysterious and suspenseful yeah. and sort of thrilling the whole time because the whole time you're like, oh, what was he doing? What are you doing? What's this person doing? And every yeah. time like, there's about five different stories. Every time it cuts and shows you a different character's perspective of that three or four hour window, um, you're like, oh my god! And so the more it brings you through this sort of same little three or four hour window of time, the more you're like, okay, what the fuck is going on? Yep. The more the mis- the, mis- the mystery kind mystery of builds, builds and yeah. the thrill kind of the suspense builds and all that. And so mm. I don't think that pacing is a very fair criticism so this this film made me think during watching it of pulp fiction which does a similar thing where it takes several different it takes one narrative thread and shows you or a narrative let's say a narrative rope and it shows you all of the threads of the rope one at a time i wish i could remember the name of the director but there was some thriller movie that we watched a geography class in like year 10 yeah um where it was like a thriller action movie about the assassination or the bombing of the Vatican, I think. Oh, it's like eight, eight 
And it was shown from eight different perspectives. It was shown from like the perspective of one of the policemen and the perspective of someone in the crowd and the perspective of someone. Did it have Jeremy Renner in it? I honestly don't remember anything else about it. But it was another thing where the whole story was like a 20 minute window of time told from like a whole bunch of different perspectives and it unfolds more of the mystery throughout. So you were talking about the pacing. Yeah. I honestly don't think that anyone could really realistically criticize the pacing because there was different shit happening and exciting shit happening to actively advance and build the tension the whole time. A lot of people, a lot of the negative reviews that I've read of this vantage point is the name of the film and it came out in 2008. Yeah. So a lot of the criticism of this was that this, this guy drew Goddard was trying to do Tarantino, but being, and this came, this phrase came up a lot, self-indulgent. He was being Tarantino's the most self-indulgent. Yeah, right. And I is. thought, I, I thought the fact that this film kind of conjured Pulp Fiction and that yeah. I was enjoying it was insane criticism from me. It's kind of one of the sorry, in, insane uh, Pulp Fiction's so old. Let me now. let me, let me yeah, do sorry, that again. Yeah. Insane acclaim and praise from my kind of like <laughs> yeah. viewing perspective because yeah. I really like Pulp Fiction, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I didn't think that he was kind of trying and failing to do that. I, I thought he was trying and really succeeding to create yeah. this compelling storyline. Well, so we've been talking a lot since our Westerns episode about films that are about films and sort of mm. that first wave of filmmaking back in the 50s. This is I definitely a response. Pulp Fiction is such an old movie now yeah. that we've had all these people grow up and become able to make their own films and be responding to that and yeah. be inspired by it. Yeah, and I would be surprised if that didn't kind of factor into this. Yeah. So a lot of the criticism that's come from this film and like most of the... It seems in some ways polarizing where like a lot of the ones that I read were like one star, this guy's a wanker. You know, no. it's like this wasn't a one-star movie. Even it's if so, you thought that he was a wanker, so much it's fun really to watch. great, really fun, really and good. Yeah, I, I I felt like a lot of the criticism from this was was just f- people being fucking impatient. Yeah. So this person said like, yeah, his leisurely pace might disappoint the more impatient, splatter-hungry genre hounds in the fan base, and for people who knew that he directed Cabin in the Woods, which was notoriously a uh, uh, violent, well, not notoriously, but kind of excellently violent. Yeah. Okay. Horror yeah. film, really filled with suspense. What well, yeah. kind of a meta horror film? Yeah. So this doesn't quite have that same constant fear tension through it, but it yeah. is tense and and it really does execute those character perspectives and individual character narratives very very well and it does really feel a bit of a new age Tarantino. Yeah. I so, I wrote, I wrote down here it kind of reminded me of the hateful late with all the character introductions and the yeah. way it kind of cuts between different Tarantino parts of the story without you really knowing what's going on. Yeah. So I think for his like second major feature film, yeah. um Drew Goddard has done a fucking good job. A great job. A fantastic um, job. I yeah, thought it was writing, so much fun. Writing and directing and producing this fucking movie. Yeah, so, so don't believe the reviews. Listen to Beef Station. Seriously, this See is this one movie. of the best movies that I've seen in, in, in years. I yeah. really, if nothing else, I had more fun watching this movie than I've had in ages. And I was yeah. watching it with other people who aren't big movie buffs, friends of the show Angus and Emily. And um, they agreed with your sentiment that it wasn't too long and really, really, really liked it. So I would go see it. Now we can get into the spoilery section, right? Yeah, right. So definitely so, go see this film if you yeah. haven't. So it turns out sort of halfway through the film, after you've been shown, I think, most of the characters' perspectives at least once, mm. you find out that every hotel room, room is set up with one-way mirrors and every single hotel room has all these bugs and a camera set yeah. up in a false John corridor running behind all the rooms. looking for the yeah. bugs. So it turns out John Hamm is like an FBI agent yeah. or something CIA, who's been sent... I yeah, I suppose so. Who's been sent to this hotel specifically to recover a certain piece of intel. Yeah. Like there's a, a tape 
or something that has been um, collected by whoever the fuck runs this hotel that's recording everything. Yeah. And he's been sent to go recover that. And so, um, like, uh, Lewis Pullman, the clerk's character's job, yeah. is actually, like, yeah, he's the clerk, but he's also this dude whose job it is to record yeah. people through the two-way mirrors. So, there's this scene with, like, a false corridor behind all, all of, of the rooms. And it runs along behind all of the rooms, so you can look walk along the corridor and see through each mirror yeah. in each room yeah. and see what they're all doing. And there's a camera set up behind one of behind them. Behind a specific and room. And the, he sees tripod points behind other windows, so you yeah. know that it's designed to be used on any of the rooms. And so, th- the so they just record guests. Yeah. And doing so, whatever. So Lewis says, oh, I get a call from whoever the fuck owns the tell. I don't even know who they are. They're in some office in Massachusetts. And they yeah. say, set up a camera in this room and film what happens. Yeah. And so it's you find out it's kind it of this, this weird blackmail operation. Yeah. Where like... Um, or like maybe like a snuff thing. Maybe. Some okay. some black market. Like, yeah. It, it, it had echoes of almost like dark web shit these days where well, it was like yeah. normal people wouldn't know that this goes on, but it kind of does. Well, so they allude to the fact that um, famous people... Um, stay there. Yeah, he talk about like polit- high like a senator high li- sex with a prostitute yeah. and whatnot. Politicians and senators yeah. and all sorts of different things. There's photos on the wall of Marilyn Monroe, so you know that like it's sort of um, implied. these big uh, big name people have been there. So you're not quite sure who he's talking about. Mm. Um, and this specific tape is used in the same way. This is a real spoiler. This specific yeah. tape is used in the same way that the suitcase in Pulp Fiction is. Well, you never where know what it is. You never find out what's on. The I reckon tape. I know what was on it. I reckon they alluded enough to. I reckon that there. Alluding pretty, to the fact strongly. that it's a JFK Marilyn Monroe yeah, sex tape. I think so. But it's never it's never shown I'm very and disappointed they didn't show it. At, <laughs> at, at points explicitly, um, they definitely because they talk about the person being dead. Yeah. And so they say like there's a you're right, it is very heavily alluded to that it is JFK Monroe. Yeah. Because it's like an but, eight-year-old kid that looks at the tape and is like, I, don't oh, I recognize his, the, I recognize oh, that. Person. I know his face, but he's I don't dead. know who he is. Yeah, and yeah. So like, exactly. What eight-year-old kid And they're like, is, it doesn't yeah. matter, what does it matter that he's dead? And they say, like, oh, sometimes tarnishing the reputation of a man is more important than the man himself. Well, yeah. And, yeah. Um, but you don't see it. And then a few of the more kind of like uh, um, kind of not clairvoyant, but like uh, symbolic or whatever characters, insightful, I guess, characters say like, I don't fucking care what's on the tape, man. Yeah. I just want to go home. I just want to <laughs> get out of this situation. Yeah. I don't fucking care what's um, on the Like, keep the tape. I don't give a fuck. There'll yeah. be another tape. There'll be some other man doing what that man did. I yeah. don't give a shit about the tape. And so as the story goes on, it gets very Coen Brothers-y where fucking everything goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> so, so much. Uh, so like, um, I think most... Can we spoil this film like a shitload? I, I suppose at this point we will. Understand. I think most of the characters... Like, half the characters in this film would die. Yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah. half of the characters that get killed get Most killed by the least likely person you think is going to kill, kill them. them. Yeah. Like, you're like, right, that person wants this, so he is probably going to try and take it off them, so they're going to kill him. No, it's like, wrong. they get that killed. That person slips some... on a banana peel yeah. and smacks their head and dies. <laughs> and breaks and their that banana neck. peel had a bomb in it, and yeah. that blows up the other person that yeah. you thought wasn't going to die the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So, for example, there's a scene where John Hamm... Um, 
breaks into someone's hotel room and is having this confrontation with this person. You can spoil it. Okay, fine. Having spoil this confrontation it. with... Um, I, I, honestly, I just forgot their names. <laughs> which, which characters? Uh, John Ham. John Hamm busts into Dakota Johnson's hotel room and is right. having this confrontation with her and she's trying to get him the fuck out of her hotel so room. So, Dakota Johnson has kidnapped somebody Yeah, her, who turns out to be her, her little sister, sister who, who is in, a in cult some cult run by right. Chris Hemsworth who's meant to be sort of... Charles Manson. Yeah, and so this is where the story gets really fucking convoluted. Yeah, this is where yeah, you so get it's all not, probably not going to be enjoyable happens. for us to walk you yeah, through the no. whole thing. The, the point is, John Ham is in this. This is just an example of how people die. Like yeah. John Ham is like oh, he sees through the one way mirror without hearing sound. This person's being kidnapped. But I'm going to go in and save them. So he goes yeah. in and tries to save the younger sister. And Dakota Johnson like shoots at him. But he's standing in front of the one-way mirror that he doesn't realize is a mirror for whatever reason. And then um, earlier on, it was set up so that, <laughs> so that um, the concierge, Jeff Bridges yeah. was like going past the concierge and finds the one-way... He's the first person to find yeah. the corridor behind the one-way yeah. mirrors. And so he's making the concierge walk with him through the corridor. Yeah. Bullet goes through John Hamm, yeah. through the one-way mirror, kills the concierge Kills the concierge well. right behind him where <laughs> Jeff Bridges is just like... Oh, fuck. <laughs> and so that's how Dakota Johnson finds out that it's a one-way mirror. Yeah, and so, like, this whole time, you've been like, okay, so there are two groups. There's kind of, yeah. like, there's John Hamm and Dakota Johnson and Casey Spaney, and they're doing their thing. Yeah. And then there's Jeff Bridges and fucking Lewis Pullman as a concierge, and they're doing their other thing. And then it's just like, oh, you just we, yeah. you might as well, like, track the bullet. Yeah. Because that's the link in the storyline. And suddenly and they that come together. And ends up killing him. And there's, yeah. also, there's all sorts of unlikely shit where, like, the stories come together. You're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. it's. I mean, it doesn't, like, unlikely is a... It kind of feels unfair because it feels... Yeah. Plausible, like mm. cartoony, but plausible. And the film's know? really stylized in that kind of way. There's yeah. a really great use of music. The thing that I think I mentioned to you before you went into the movie, because I saw it first, I went, man, there's a fucking thing in this movie. Oh, yeah, and you were going to ask Exactly me to guess my it. shit. I forgot. Have I spoiled it? No. The music in this film is exactly the kind of music I love. Uh, All this old soul stuff they use. Um, I've written down. Um, I thought you were going for something else because there's a scene right at the start where Nick Offerman is hammering stuff into the in time with the music. The in time with the music. I wrote and I that. Remember you saying you loved it. I wrote that down as well. That was really cool. Yeah. And they do that again later. Right. Um, and it echoes, yeah, because Jeff Bridges, yeah. who is Nick Offerman's character's brother, yeah, also is hammering shit down while. Cynthia Erivo is kind yeah. of doing that in time, so, which is real cool. I wrote down here, one of my favorite scenes in the whole film was the This Old Heart of Mine scene. That's a famous one. Yeah. This Old Heart of Mine. And I think, if I'm remembering right, it's where she's singing it a cappella. Yeah, to try and, and make it look like she's just in the room alone practicing. Yeah. yeah. Um, or it might even just be like, it might even be the first time that Jeff Bridges finds the one-way mirror and she's literally just practicing. Oh, and okay. he flicks the, the intercom on so he listens to her. That's while John Hamm the first time that okay, happens. Okay, fine. Well, and he, and while, while he's looking through and looking through all the other mirrors um, and this whole heart of mine plays in the background. Yeah. There's a whole other scene where they're playing all these old old soul songs on the jukebox in the, in the bar area. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which is really cool when they're talking Very about cool. the Isley Brothers and all that. Just freaking loved all the music. We, we haven't film. really touched on the performances. Everyone in this film, like obviously there's an all-star cast, but yeah. everyone in this film was really great on screen Absolutely. as well. Um, like John Hamm is is consistently fantastic. Cynthia Erivo, I looked up her IMDb. She really hasn't been in much, but I she's a singer. She's now in yeah. She's yeah. now in uh, Widows as well as you mentioned. Yeah. The one that you talked. Oh about really? I didn't even for. notice. Yeah yeah. Right, yeah. Okay. So she's one of those people that's suddenly doing a lot of shit. Yeah. And okay. I think it's because she's great. Like yeah. she has a really she radiant was fantastic. performance. There's this one like... scene where she's it's a it's a long cut. It's like maybe yeah. a couple of minutes where she's singing, 
She's got a great voice and she's singing and singing and, and she's doing this one song and you think like, oh, this is just going to be one of those scenes where like she's, she kind of bears her whole soul out through one song. But then she stops and she's like, ah, I'm not getting it right. And she stops and starts, stops and starts. And you then she practice this song. Yeah, and then she just, eventually she pulls off the wig that she's been wearing for the whole film. Yeah. And you and, didn't even realize. She's, she's got really short hair. Um, and she kind of like just sort of, you see her just change and kind of relax as yeah. if she's kind of like become comfortable in herself a little bit and then yeah. just is confident and the song changes and yeah. that's all one cut. She only gets to kind of, I mean, like she she can do that once, yeah. but pain in the ass to reset every time. So they'd yeah. have to get it right and she really nails she it. She was such a good singer. She yeah, had like, a, like a real Diana Ross, Ella Fitzgerald, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Aretha Franklin kind of vibe Soul to it. feel to it. Yeah. Oh, man. Really, really good. Really, yeah. really good. Jeff Bree, I thought that maybe... She sang one too many times in the film. Yeah, where you're like, that's oh, I get it. She has a good voice. Is, I get yeah. it. You booked a character but with a great uh, fucking I'd voice. I'd say most of the time it's used yeah. as a device to progress the storyline. Yeah. Um, it's just um, also used as a fair bit of her characterization. It's like, we get it. She's an aspiring soul singer. Yeah. I, I thought some of the coolest shots in the film. So that was my favorite scene. Whichever scene, listeners, I don't remember. Whichever scene had this old heart of mine playing. I like that song. Thought that scene so was good. Go look go up. Go watch it up. Go look up what this old heart of mine is. <laughs> okay, listen to no, that. No, you know. It's then go see this movie. <laughs> then you'll this know what Oscar's favorite scene It's great. Is. I think they used the letter as well, which is like the, give me a ticket from an airplane. There's lots of stuff. Yeah. It got time to take a fast train. You're welcome. Um, all the outdoor shots that were lit by neon in the rain. Fucking fantastic. Was so good. This, this film, like the aesthetics of this film oh, and the set yeah. design... The whole um, art direction and everything. Really beautiful. It's so satisfying to watch. It looks like they found some time capsule 50s ass hotel. Yeah. Not just the props and the costumes and stuff, though. Really, yeah. the layout, the the, the the composition of the shots yeah. really gives you this... Um, it's more than just the the physical stuff on the screen. It's it's it's, it's the the lighting and the the way that things are revealed. I don't know how to describe it, but... The, Sounds uh, like directing beyond, like. <laughs> Well, it's more than just yeah, that. The, the way that the kind DPs the whole, managed to fit yeah. everything in the shot. But the, 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 the actual met. feeling of the film. Yeah. Yeah, the aesthetic is, is the whole, really, really, yeah, really fantastic. consistent. And, and consistent really... throughout. It doesn't feel like it only throws yeah. that in every now and then to try yeah. and like remind you, like, oh, remember this was in the yeah. 70s? It's the whole time it's really so consistent. So good. Well, the film was funny. The film was mysterious and suspenseful mm. the whole way through. I really loved it. It's another one of those films that kind of reminds me of Wire. I laughed out a bunch of times. Yeah. It kind of yeah. reminds me of Wire like Ocean's Eleven because it's one of the films that reveals itself as you yeah. go. Um, it reminded me of watching Pulp Fiction for the first time where I was yeah. so... I. I, I it, the, during this whole movie, I was so compelled to find out what was going to happen next. And I desperately yeah. wanted to know mm. who knew where the money was because it becomes apparent some of the characters aren't there for the money and some of them are. Yeah. And I wanted to know, like, I thought as soon as... I I, I, I picked that John Hamm wasn't who he said he was yeah. almost immediately. But then I thought he was going to be after the money. But then it was like, no, he's it just a, twists and he's turns just an a agent. And he's yeah. not there. And then you think it's got to be... Um, Cynthia because she's not there for any other reason and it has to be yeah. the money and then the rev the 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 fucking priest yeah yeah um, see yeah. this is a classic example of a film that does twists really well that doesn't feel like it's fucking lying to no you. like, no, it, no, like no. so we watched a simple favor last week and that was just like a film that was trying to be as cool and clever as this film and just failed miserably yeah, absolutely um, 
I really, really think this film was great. Yeah, and, and stuff is signposted well. Like Chekhov's gun is um is really yeah. well used in this because so many times you'll get a signal mm. and it'll double back and show you what they meant by that signal. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like you could have put it together if yeah. you wanted. The one mm. key criticism I have of this film, and it's a real big one, is that I thought the ending was kind of bullshit. I, I think I didn't, so, but that was a common criticism. So the ending is that, and again, spoilers, go see the film. The ending is that um, the little sister who was kidnapped from this cult by her bigger sister calls up the cult leader and is like, oh, come get me. Right Played this by Chris Hemsworth. So Chris Hemsworth. Without a shirt on. <laughs> busts in out of nowhere, kicks down the door, fucking sets fire to everything and takes kicks everyone. Kicks down the door with his nipples. <laughs> takes everyone hostage and tries to take the money. Yeah. Um, and it's this whole... 15 minute long kind of standoff scene where he's got everyone at gunpoint which felt a lot like um is there a Tarantino movie that does that otherwise it felt like Detroit where everyone was yeah. up against the I mean, wall I mean a bit for like ages. Hateful Eight it's a bit like Hateful right. Eight right okay where, yeah, it um, did have a very yeah. uh, Samuel L. Jackson gets everyone up against he's the wall like, alright 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 what the fuck is going it on it did feel that kind yeah. of shit it um, borrowed pretty heavily from from some Tarantino yeah, yeah. I just kind of felt like who is it because it kind of felt like it ground the movie to a halt and just changed the pace of the whole film. Mm. I thought the film was really fast-paced, and I really liked finding where they're going. I kind of wanted to know where Jeff Bridges was going. I wanted to know where the singer was going. I wanted to know where John Hamm was going. And I felt like I didn't mind that characters were dying along the way. But I was like, right, well, I get to find out what happens here. And so just the fact that uh, Chris fucking Hemsworth comes in and just stops everything. It was like, all right, stop. It's about me now. And just... Changes the course of the whole film. See, I yeah. kind of felt it. Kind of, I don't know. It just made it made me feel like the ending was a bit flat. I get you, but we find out pretty early on that the sister made the phone call, and I so know. the whole time I was thinking, either I, I thought what was going to happen was the cops were going to show up because John yeah. Ham's character calls them, yeah, and Chris Hemsworth's character was going to show up, and so yeah. I knew that one of or both of those were going to show up and fuck everything up right at the end of the film. I so when so. he did show up, I was like, okay, okay cool, great. here we yeah. go. This is yeah. the end of it. I just feel like... And, and then it was so... Yeah. That, that that scene, because you think like he, he's going to show up and like kill people or whatever, but he doesn't. He shows up and like fucking tortures them for yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. And what that created... Tortures me for 20 minutes. I thought, well, I thought that was actually really effective yeah. because at some stage a character... Um, well... Uh, is it Cynthia? Cynthia's character, the soul singer. Yeah. Does she kick over the table? Someone kicks over the table and ends up setting fire to the room and like breaking the dynamic of the roulette wheel game that he's playing. Yeah. And I was like, fucking thank God that the tension is broken, because not that I wanted it to end, but I was just like on the edge of my seat. Like <laughs> I was, I was genuinely like. Holy fuck! Thank God someone like, oh. did something. Yeah, like, no, I like, kind of now I was allowed to breathe. But I and, suppose it was a logical and the way for the people film to I go. was with also felt that way. So like, yeah. I'm reading I'm reading criticism that sympathizes with what you're saying. But the myself and the people that I were with really felt like that was quite an effective way to do yeah. that well, last part of the film. I so I actually I, thought it was good. I think it makes sense. But at, in the moment, you're just kind of like, oh, so I don't I don't get to find out what. Oh, okay, fine. 
I mean, you know, I, th- I think it's because sort of but it's, do, it's inherently then you get a kind of a positive right? thing because all the other characters are so compelling and all the other stories are yeah. so compelling. I kind of thought maybe that's the problem is I kind of thought the whole fucking cult thing and the sister storyline. I thought it was the least interesting one, and so to have that storyline be the one that finishes the film and it's the feature of the, the ending. I thought it was kind of lame. Chris Hemsworth's like, character could have been done a little differently. I think maybe he even could yeah. have been a little more threatening. Yeah. He's, he, he feels amateurish. But then also, like, it did break that kind of cliche of him showing up and running the show because Cynthia Rivo's character is like, man, fuck you. Yeah. Do I, whatever the fuck you got to do. Yeah. But I'm so sick of fucking people like you. I feel like I like that scene. Mm. Just within the context of it being the ending of the film... And ha- given given the pacing and the structure of the rest of the film, I kind of just felt like it ground everything to a halt. Sure. I understand your criticism, but I thought it was fine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so make your own decisions. <laughs> I think it's really worth it. Fuck seeing. off. I think it was really good fun. Again, all yeah, the shots. Great. It really reminded me of recently we watched You Were Never Really Here, and we mm. talked about how it was a film where it just felt like someone was given $100 million. The lighting and like, director did LSD and yeah. then did whatever <laughs> it was just, fuck just like, Do whatever you want, man. Yeah, do whatever yeah, you yeah. want. It felt like that ah, kind of thing. Green and red. Sounds good. This guy like wrote it, directed it. Yeah. It really just felt like so someone was like, this here's guy, a whole bunch of money, Drew Goddard, do whatever you want. Drew Goddard definitely is, a, I think, a screenwriter first yeah. and then a director second. Yeah. Because he wrote, so he wrote and directed this. He's written on Buffy he, the Vampire Slayer, Alias and Lost. Wow. He's written on Daredevil. He wrote for Cloverfield, World War Z, and The Martian. Jeez. The Martian being the most kind of highly praised one of those. Yeah. Um, but also Cabin in the Woods, where he directed. And that film was fucking great. That's one of my favorite movies ever. Maybe definitely my favorite horror movie, even though it's sort of not really a horror movie. Yeah, it isn't it's really. A, it's no. a meta horror movie, but it still was fucking scary. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I thought he's done a really good job. And that just goes to show what happens when you get someone with kind of a unified vision who uh, is not a is a really good script writer, you know? I thought it was really great. Yeah. What's it better than? Simple favor. <laughs> Trying to do different things. Oh, but yeah, no, I feel, I feel like it's it's not close enough. I I don't know. I can't really think of a better than worse than type thing for this film, other than the fact that it really, really reminded me a lot of um, Coen Brothers and Quentin Tarantino movies. Okay, it was better than Hateful Eight, worse than Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I thought that... Only because I watched Pulp Fiction <laughs> first and that yeah. was so influential. I think if you really like this kind of film, another uh, two other films that are Coen Brothers films that really remind me of this and I think are fantastic... Of Mice and Men. ...are um, Burn After Reading. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Which is really, really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, and it's sure. another of those films that sort of... Follows different All threads. sorts of different shit goes on. Yeah. And, and then you see how everything goes wrong and it's yeah. funny and it's good fun. Um, Hail Caesar is another good one that came out recently. I have not seen That's that. the George Clooney one. It's kind of set in the fi- in the 50s golden age of Hollywood film studios type thing. Oh, right. These- that was the, yeah, the movie yeah. about Caesar, yeah. That one's really good. I mean, those are probably the two... Uh, mm. Mm. The Big Lebowski to a lesser degree. But Coen Brothers are fantastic. Yeah. And I think this film really reminded me it's of those. It. Yeah, it's a mix between... Good mix between Coen Brothers and Tarantino. Yeah, and I can definitely see how Coen, someone can... Criticize this by saying it's a wannabe this. Yeah. But I still but I think that it, it did it that. so well. Yeah. I that, really think it deserves that. Yeah. Praise. And I think if if people think it's lesser than, it's only because it's after it. I think a real majority, you know I mean. a, a real majority of critics are rating this film quite highly. But it was yeah. brought down by such strong negative reviews that it's getting a pretty. Un- it's getting like 
six and a half to seven out of tens, and it's just definitely like an eight out of ten or higher, I think. Yeah, and no, I really enjoyed it. I can't really, really think of a worse than or a better than, but I think there's a whole bunch of different films that are very similar in this kind of tone that I think are worth looking up as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great. Um, cool. I think that, that's it for the films we have to cover this yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, should we hit it with the news? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just get up my article, oh. someone. We got a, we got a, we got a cat guest, <laughs> Harley. A guest, Harley. No, he don't jump when you say jump, boy. <gasps> yeah, fuck yeah. There we go. There we go. Double cat. Good boy. Let's hit it with the news. All right. Ching, 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 John Krasinski is writing A Quiet Place 2. Yeah, so he's writing now. So we, we always knew that he was at so some, some level involved. of involvement, <laughs> but it turns out he's writing it. So he's writing it. that's cool. Did he write the first one? I think, I yeah, think pretty, he did. pretty heavily. Did he? Okay, fine. I think well, he was he had, he heavily had involved, at least. Well, no, it says the process. first film was written by Brian Woods and Scott Beck, but when Krasinski came on board as the director, he made a significant pass at the script. Okay. So, sure. I mean... He was responsible for part of the creative control that made the first one good. Yeah, I so suppose. it depends on whether or not he decided at what point to bring in the aliens. Because yeah. he either did some excellent fucking things to that movie <laughs> or some terrible fucking things to that movie. Yeah. So um, This next story reminded me of when we were talking about The Predator and we were talking about how Predator was originally going to be called Hunter. And they changed yeah, it to yeah, yeah. Predator because they thought it sounded cooler. We were also talking in The Predator about how um, it was come up, it came up as like one of those like drunken premise Hollywood one-line premises where it was like Rambo fights an alien. Yeah. Um, here's the headline. Sylvester Stallone will battle an inhuman beast in Hunter, originally a Rambo sequel. So, so they're making It Predator. literally just feels like they pulled an old Predator draft out from the back of the couch. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, Sounds yeah. good. Balboa Productions is currently developing an adaptation of Hunter, the site reports, with Stallone attached to star. The book centers on Nathaniel Hunter, whose hyper-tracking skills are employed to hunt down a raging beast. Hyper-tracking. A half-human terror created by a renegade agency that is threatening to wreak havoc on civilization. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. That sounds incredible. (laughs) That sounds right up our alley. The film's gonna be bullshit. (laughs) Um, Another headline here. Um, We were talking... We've got an episode coming up, but we watched some... John Carpenter films. Mm. The Thing is definitely worth looking up. Uh, John Carpenter in talks of potential sequels and reboots of him films, quote, I'm up for almost anything that involves money. (laughs) 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 I think he's turning out to be one of my favorite people. He's the best. You heard it here, folks. Recently, he said If you want to fuck John Carpenter, all you need is enough money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Recently, he said that... um, he, he hasn't been making movies recently because he's just been playing video games with his kids. Yeah, yeah. Spending time with his kids <laughs> and playing fucking video games. Yeah. What a hero. So now he's like, yeah, the more I learn about this guy, the more I'm like, huh, Fuck yeah. I think he's one of my favorite people. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the last one I have here is exciting. Mm-hmm. Exclusive Pokemon Detective Pikachu plot synopsis teases a thrilling adventure. Yeah, boy. The synopsis yeah, teases the comedic dynamic Ryan Reynolds Pikachu and Justice Smith's Tim will have and the mystery they must solve to save the world. The story begins with Ace, Private Eye, Harry... Sorry, spoiler alert for Detective Pikachu if you don't <laughs> want to know what happens. The story begins when Ace, Private Eye, Wait, Harry... Is this actually spoil stuff? Is this leaked or what? 
I have no idea. This is I don't want you to actually spoil anything. For we'll, me. we'll stop if it gets a bit spoiler. I'm going into this. I'm going into this movie blind. <laughs> Fuck the listeners. Read out whatever you want. I'm just going to pull my headphones out okay, and walk well, away. The story begins when Ace Private Eye Harry Goodman goes mysteriously missing, prompting his 21 year old son Tim to find out what happened. Aiding in the investigation is Harry's former Pokemon partner, Detective Pikachu, a hilariously wise, cracking, adorable super sleuth who is a puzzlement even to himself. He's also incredibly sexy. Finding that they are unique. Uniquely equipped to communicate with one another, Tim and, Tim and Pikachu become reluctant partners on a thrilling adventure to unravel a tangled mystery, chasing clues together through a neon-lit street of Rhyme City, a sprawling modern metropolis where humans and Pokemon live in partnership in a hyper-realistic live-action world. They encounter a diverse cast of Pokemon <laughs> characters and uncover a shocking plot that could destroy this peaceful coexistence and threaten the whole Pokemon universe. I hope it's universe. entirely live-action. Fuck yeah. Like there's some dickhead in a coughing costume <laughs> and well, like people some are saying that- that's just like Bulbasaur <laughs> Bulbasaur <laughs> Bulbasaur well that would be coughing man. <laughs> yeah yeah um, I am so fucking excited yeah, I'm for psyched. this movie psyched to fuck for like I think every single thing Ryan Reynolds has put his name to in like the next five years it's been so I'm stupid. absolutely sold on <laughs> so, so that's that's the last that's the last story I've got uh, your cat just shut the door on his way out <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I got a couple of rapid fire headlines. Hit us. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is arriving in June 2020. So, right, great, cool, excellent. Next, yeah, an 80s revival going on. Especially considering Wonder Woman was a wildly successful film from like two years ago. Yeah, you're right. No, but I mean, like that one's going to be set in the 80s. I mentioned it was an 80s tone. We've just had Predator, which is this 80s thing. We've mm. got this fucking weird. Rambo alien fucking thing which I think is you're right but I don't thing. think that what I just announced is in any way related it's to that it's set in the 80s it's gonna have a weird 80s tone to it 1984 you said yeah you're right I know I don't think so <laughs> what do you mean cause it's a Wonder Woman film it doesn't matter when the fuck it's based yeah but it's gonna have an 80 80- it's gonna be set in the 80s that'll be the least relevant aspect of the plot yeah I know but <laughs> Listen to this. I'm, like, I'm expressing what I'm saying pretty fucking clearly, aren't I? Next, next. You know what? I don't care. Next headline. We'll discuss this when it comes moving, out. Moving right along. Yeah, we'll fight this out off mic. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. No, no, nine months from now, when we watch Wonder Woman 1984, we're going to have exactly the same uh, argument. 2020, mate. You got to wait a fair while. Fuck, for it. really? Yeah. Oh man. You didn't listen to my headline. You were too busy focused on reviving the 80s. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro is bringing his Pinocchio film to Netflix, which is Ugh. concerning because anything Netflix touches recently has gone badly. Including... It's actually just a documentary about Barbara Streisand. Zing! Nice. Thanks. She has a big it's nose. She has a big nose. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, because the Coen Brothers Netflix film was like apparently the worst thing they've ever done. That's not so... out. I tried to watch it the other day. You lied to me, boy. It's not out. Oh. Well, it's been absolutely getting slammed, so... Maybe uh, maybe don't get your hopes up. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is a title. Yeah, apparently solid, it's the worst certified fresh. movie thus far. So oh, fuck. Yeah, um, um, I, I love Del Toro. I'm very worried about this because yeah. he just... Netflix is, is a bad name Well, didn't he also do Pacific Rim? Yeah, he did he Pacific Rim. He famously does weird fucking movies that people hate, but he thinks are just fun. And he, Pacific like, Rim was like great. A, he'll look like an art one and then some dumb movie yeah, yeah, about yeah, giant yeah. robots but fighting aliens. this is Pinocchio, so it could be... Like, it's not... Pacific Rim is about like giant fucking robots. Like, yeah, it's dumb. Yeah, okay. Fine. Pinocchio yeah. is like, what's it gonna be? You know, I don't know. 
Pinocchio gets in a giant <laughs> mech and fights Godzilla. <laughs> yes, please. That I'm fucking on board for. All right, a little more somber news. The Great. director of... You better uh, not fuck us again. You better save something good for last, boy. The director of Harold and Kumar get the munchies, and <laughs> Dude, Where's My Car? Danny Lena has died at age 57. Oh, dude. So, yeah, and uh, he also made uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, which Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, really Dude, funny. Where's My Car? Movies really that funny. I really, really loved at the time. Like, I watched Episode. them when I was probably uh, mid-teens, and I think that was about perfect, because, like, no, the humor hasn't aged... Yeah, it's problematic. Yeah. But fuck, I, I cannot think of movies that made me laugh harder than those ones would have at the time. I remember we watched Dude, Where's so, My Car together down at the coast. Fuck, like, fuck that was a funny movie. It is so, it was so fucking funny. So, yeah. I don't oh, know, it's sad, I don't know, sad to hear. I don't know why, and I'm not going to read the rest of the article because I just don't want to get unhappy. But well, no, because that's, that's, that the rules of the, that's the rules of the Beef Station news so, segment. That's why. going to smoke a big old bowl and watch <laughs> Dude, Where's My Car in his memory. Fuck yeah. I'm not in Canada. Blaze it. Uh, Halloween is murdering the weekend box office. I think um, that's a remake, not a remake, a sequel to the John Carpenter Halloween. Yeah, 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 it is. Uh, uh, sequel, yes, because the ads have been showing old characters Coming that back, have aged yeah. and, yeah. Old actors. Um, oh, <laughs> no, 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 like characters from the original that have aged and whatever. Yeah, it's one of those ones. Boy, am I not interested in watching that movie. I mean, maybe um, if we'd seen the original and cared about the original. I think you maybe. have had to like grow up with the original movie. And yeah. We really missed that. Yeah, we did. So, I don't know. Whatever. Sure. Great. Oh, sorry, when did... Um, that's a, a film that's a bit of a revival of a, a film from the past. That original yeah. Halloween film. Sorry, when did that... I what, what said, decade? What decade? I said. What decade did that, that come out you in? Were right. Was it the eighties? <laughs> I said that you were right. Ah! <laughs> there is definitely an eighties revival going on. I just don't think that Wonder Woman, being based in eighty four, is a good example of that. I think it's an example of it. Uh, pick your battles. <laughs> Uh, okay, the last uh, bit of news, which maybe I'm just personally excited about, and also I open these in. Chron- <laughs> you're getting these in. You chron- gotta pace your news, boy. You're getting these you're, in chronological we order. We ended the news segment last <laughs> week in a real downer of a news segment, and it kind of ruined the toning of the whole ending. So, back from the uh, 19th of October, which is when this news came out, because we're going Jesus. in inverse chronological. Um, Rian Johnson uh, has been doing his next. Film, he did a uh, Looper, right? N- right? Maybe, but he's done the Star Wars movies. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, if he did Looper, that explains a lot because I really fucking love this movie. Um, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> I really, really like that. Um, <laughs> he is on board filling the cast for his next film, which is a murder mystery called oh, Knives Out. Um, and his latest edition, he's had a couple of people join. Uh, Daniel Craig's on board, which could be interesting. Uh, Chris Evans, Michael Shannon. Yeah, okay, so he's done a bunch of shit. Star Wars, Last Jedi, Looper as well, which are both great. So I'm, I'm actually super, super yeah. psyched for this movie. Um, so yeah, as I said, uh, Daniel Craig's on board. Chris Evans is on board. Um, That'd be good. Yeah, and he's recently just also cast Ana de Armas, who people would know, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, people would know as uh, Joy from Blade Runner 2049. She's the weird Oracle chick. She's the AI from Blade Runner 2049, the one that lives in Ryan Gosling's apartment. Yeah, okay, right. Who yeah, is, okay, right. And, and also is like, I think literally one of the most attractive human beings, <laughs> not just alive at the moment, but maybe that's like ever existed. <laughs> this is a question for you. Do you reckon, you well, know how like- Have you seen the Statue of Venus? You know how everyone in Renaissance oh, paintings, you know how everyone like Renaissance paintings is fugly? <laughs> 
Do you reckon back then <laughs> there was the same like range of human appearance and that they just thought that different things were attractive? No, so all this weird like, painters just liked them fugly. If you went back in time... <laughs> Michelangelo's like, I'm painting her like this, and everyone else is like, why? <laughs> well, like, do you reckon if you went back in time, right, to like the mid-1600s, yeah. you would be able to find... By today's standards, really attractive people <laughs> <was> like, <laughs> who were like shunned for being fugly back by standards of the day. <laughs> and you could just like play your luck with the ugly like, people. Why are you going with hair? And, She's yeah, got exactly. tan skin and exactly. blonde hair. And- She's got excellent cheekbones <laughs> and a great hairline. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but, <laughs> but I am. I, but I sincerely You don't. hear shit like, oh, you know, it was a sign of wealth if you were pale because you never had to go outside. Yeah, so exactly. Like, I imagine that Bullshit extrapolated like that. 10 times as well. Anyway, yeah. I think Irrelevant of the Ages, uh, Ananda Armas, is, is still right okay, up there on the, on the charts. Now read so. the, the last headline you've got. That's the funny, funny zinger that we go out on. <sighs> well, we needed to talk more about this earlier because. <laughs> Uh, we should have talked about this 19 times previously. That would have really set us up for, oh, you're a real. You know what? I'm fucking with you. Did we, I did know we you got the, nothing. Um, I think we might have mentioned this last week, but the that um, Peter Jackson is doing the new model engines. Maybe? Yeah, we did. This is, are you fucking with me? This is the third time you've brought this up on the podcast to the point where I cut it out of last week's episode. <laughs> well, uh, the last headline for today is that I'm still psyched for... Peter Jackson's new model engines. Listen, this, this is saying, uh, this is the third or fourth time that Andrew's brought this up in episodes that I've had to strategically <laughs> edit out. That's how excited <laughs> I am about it. So you better not cut me out. <laughs> I think right. that's going to bring this episode to a close. Um, if you have any suggestions for us, or any films you want to cover, if you want to send us any emails, our email address is beefstationpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Come like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash beefstationpod. Thanks and for keeping your emails flooding in. We have Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, well. Get uh, excited. Start getting we on that Twitter. shit. So yep. our Twitter handle is at BeefStationPod. It's going to be BeefStationPod on everything. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. We're, um, we'll, we'll do like retweets of good news shit. We'll comment snarkily on a bunch of other stuff as well. So give us a, give us a fucking follow, man. Fuck yeah. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Have a good one.